And we are on air right now for Fan for Racing Radio. This is Monday night, April the 17th, and we are here for our Martinsville NASCAR Race Review and Hot Topic Sound Off. Joining me for tonight's show is Jay Huseman, filling in for Sal Segala. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. Uh, happy to be here on a Monday night uh, for the review. I know Sal's got uh, a lot of other things in his bucket of things he's taking care of, so stepping in here, yeah. as I know Andy's going to do, or Sal, whichever, uh, Thursday night for me. So uh, appreciate <laughs> being part of the team. Well, we appreciate it, uh, and thank you so much for being available. Uh, real quick, I'm going to go through our agenda here for tonight. In our first half hour, we are going to start with the latest short track news. Afterward, we'll also have updates for the Arca Menards, Arca East, and Arca West series. Uh, those series did not race this past weekend. Uh, but, Jay, if we have some time left over, I'm hoping maybe we can do a uh, fan for racing fantasy update uh, during that time. We'll see. Well, it- in previous weeks, it's been Mike that didn't want to hear about it. I don't want to talk about it tonight, so I might try and stall so we don't have no, – I did not have the best of weekends. Well, I was I was good in two series and not so good in the third. Uh, in the next half hour, though, we do have a guest, and Christian Rose is coming back. Uh, he's the Arkham and Art Series driver of the number 32 Ford this year with AM Racing. He will join our conversation, and we'll catch up with him. Then we review the NASCAR Truck Series race out in Martinsville Speedway this past weekend. Uh, during our third half hour, we're going to review the NASCAR Xfinity and Cup Series races at Martinsville. And, of course, we end our episode with the Hot Topic Sound Off conversation with our fan for racing crew. And it sounds like Andy is joining you and I tonight for Hot Topics conversation. So uh, looking forward to that as well. Well, and as usual, I know even on Thursday nights when you and I do the preview, uh, there's several things as we review the race. Got to try and keep it from getting into hot topics until it's time. But uh, I know some (laughs) things come up as we review it of, well, we'll get to that later. So make sure you stay tuned in for hot topics. Exactly right. That's exactly what happens. Okay, let's start with some short track news because we've got kind of a, a long list here tonight. Uh, from the dirt side, Brad Sweet scored a big wild World of Outlaws Sprint Car Race Series race in the Federated Auto Parts Raceway at I-55. Uh, you can read about that over at theworldofoutlaws.com uh, by Alex Knighton. Well, and that's, that's one of, uh, if you haven't been to I-55 Speedway there in Peebley, Missouri, um, I have tried to fill that bucket on the bucket list. Uh, it's been a weather issue every time I've been there. I'm glad to see they got to run it. I know we'll get to some others that are on the other side of that, but great racing, yeah. everything I've always seen from that track. Uh, great racing. Great to see a Brad Sweet, uh, one of those drivers, and it comes to the world of outlaws. I might be, I think, gets a little underrated or underappreciated. I know we've had some other greats that kind of uh, overshadow them. Um, but I think he's really starting to build his own legacy. Yeah, I would agree. And as long as uh, it's still in the world of outlaws, they did race uh, that race that Brad Sweet won. But Saturday's outlaws race 
uh, races, they were canceled by severe weather. So uh, you can go ahead and start with that third note there. All right. Well, uh, Giovanni Schelzi uh, won a big in the high limit sprint car series opener. Uh, that one can be uh, article can be found uh, by Dan Beaver on NBC Sports. He's another one we've seen that dabble into the NASCAR Top 3 Series. I don't remember if it was Trucks or Xfinity. Uh, when he gets uh, the opportunity, ARCA. you want to check him out as far as racing. Anyways. Yeah, he raced <laughs> in ARCA Menard Series, I think, uh, uh, last year. Ross Chastain is going to go dirt racing. He's competing in the Lucas Oil Late Model Dirt Series race at Georgetown Speedway. If you want to know more about that, you want to head over to Flow Racing you can read all about it. So I love it when we see the NASCAR drivers uh, going to uh, local dirt tracks. That That is one of, you not only want to read about it, I, in my opinion, you want to see and check you it want to out. Be there. Uh, I think it's going to be really, if I could be, I would be. You're, you're right. Um, I think that's going to be quite interesting to say the least. Uh, another one we got is uh, Logan Seavey. He's another one. He's set for a silver crown run. And that one you can check out an article by our friend Matt Weaver at Short Track Scene. We do a lot of coverage from Short Track Scene. Matt Weaver always on top of things. Got an article on Logan Seavey. Also, this weekend's uh, planned silver crown race at Terre Haute Action Track. Uh, we've been talking about that race. They keep having to postpone because of rain. So it's been postponed to May 7th. Uh, because of the forecast. You can read more about that. Uh, that was sent to us, actually, by USEC Media. So, uh, uh, again, you can read more about that over at Short Track Scene, and I'm going to cover this next one, too, because it is related. Uh, the unique uh, USEC tour is in for a big season, and uh, that's available over at Short Track Scene as well. Again, great place to get information on all racing. Uh, one that came from PowerRI.com is Cannon McIntosh uh, claimed the checkered flag at I-55 Raceway, and that was a combination of the PowerRI National Midget League, as, excuse me, as well as the Extreme Midget Series event. We talked about some of these that flow racing shows. Um, groups you might not get to see at your local track, you want to watch if you can. Um, some of these drivers, again, I think we're going to see in more and more of their name at different levels. Absolutely. Dale McDowell is $100,000 richer after he won the spring thaw race out at Volunteer Speedway. Uh, that article is up at Dirt on Dirt, uh, so if you want to check it out. Another one that got a victory was Brody Kostecki. He scored a heat win in the sprint car action there at Archfield Speedway. You can check that out. Uh, Damian Smy at Speed Cafe. That's not a site I'm familiar with. I'll have to check that one out. Okay. Craig Mintz snagged a victory in the All-Star Circuit of Champions opener at Attica Raceway Park. That's by uh, Al Tyler Altmeyer from allstarsprint.com. And that was followed up the next guy by Brent Marks. He rose from 20th to pick up the All-Star win. Uh, again, covered by Tyler Altmeyer at All-Star Sprint.com. Uh, another USAC Sprint Car uh, winner was C.J. Uh, Leary. He prevailed in the race at Bloomington Speedway. Richie Murray uh, sent us that info from uh, USAC Media. 
And there again, he followed it up with a second victory to sweep the tracks of USAC weekend. So dominant weekend there for C.J. Leary. Okay, and then Shannon Babb proved dominant in the Slocum 50 at 34 Raceway, also available at Dirt on Dirt. So a lot of uh, racing this weekend despite the weather, uh, but uh, glad that all of those uh, drivers uh, found success at their respective speedways. Uh, moving on to short tracks, so what do we have there, Jay? Well, a lot of this is going to, you can find on short track scene. Uh, we've got the finalists for the 2023 Kawiki Driver Development Program. They've been announced. Uh, maybe on Thursday we'll get a chance to preview some of that or talk about some of them. Yeah, we did talk about that before, and, and that is big news. We've uh, Drivers like Ty Majeski came through that uh, Kawiki Driver Development Program. Uh, so it, it is... Uh, Dylan Zampa, another driver that's been on our radio show, uh, he too has been through this program, and it's it's drivers that uh, are finding success at uh, the racetracks all across the country. Caleb Hetty uh, took a smart modified tour victory at Hickory Motor Speedway. Uh, you can read about that from Matt Weaver over at Short Track Scene. And I know on Thursday, I'm sure we'll cover this in the uh, review, or preview of where they're headed next, but New Hampshire Motor Speedway saw a host of winners. We didn't see a dominant. Uh, we saw a host of winners at the Northeast Classic, and that'll be on Racing America. I know we use that a lot when we're talking about our preview and news from short track racing there for the weekend ahead. Absolutely. The Southern Super Series race at Montgomery Motor Speedway was postponed two weeks due to weather. Uh, again, you can read about that over at Short Track Scene. Uh, hopefully they'll have a, a, a new date uh, for those races coming up here. Well, and speaking of uh, a uh, Kawiki Driver Development Program, I believe this one, Evan Shotko, uh, came through that, and he scored the icebreaker win at Berlin Raceway. Again, Matt Weaver covering that for us at Short Track Scene. And Cody Kelly... Slept a double feature day at Florence Motor Speedway. Again, Matt Weaver wrote about it over at Short Track Scene. He does a great job of covering a lot of the short track racing that goes on around the country. And then um, over on Twitter, I found this one on Twitter. Uh, Charles Crowell uh, posted that well, he said, if you can make it to the track, you should. If you can't, give it a watch on Flow Racing. It'll be a great show. And that's tomorrow. Uh, Eldora kicks off its 70th season opener with 23,023 uh, to win. Uh, and don't miss the special Tuesday night performance featuring late models, modifieds, and super stocks over at Flow Racing. So I wanted to make sure we mentioned that as well uh, because that's happening tomorrow night. Well, and this is this is one they started. I want to say maybe this might be the third year, maybe only the second. The Racing Night in America, Flow Racing, uh, Racing Night in America. You mentioned Tuesday night program, and I know uh, you put it up there this morning. I wanted to chime in. One of our local drivers here from Meridian, Mississippi, ran here locally this weekend. Mister Excitement Spencer Hughes, but he was loading up after that and headed up to Eldora. So I'll be keeping an eye on Spencer Hughes this uh, this week. <laughs> Okay, well, that sounds good, and and always good to hear 
uh, from different parts of the country and, and the different races that are going on uh, from the East Coast to the West Coast, uh, from the Canadian border to the Mexico border. We've got lots of racing here in the U.S., so uh, always uh, a lot of fun covering that. All right, I'm going to go ahead and move over here to the Arkham Menard series. Uh, they uh, are not; they did not race this past weekend, but the good news is that they do have races coming up this coming weekend. Uh, two races, in fact. Uh, we'll start with the Arkham Menard series. Uh, and Christian Rose, by the way, our guest coming up at the nine o'clock uh, at the top of the hour here. Uh, is going to be in this race. We'll talk to him about it. It's the General Tire 200 on April 22nd at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time out at Talladega Super Speedway. That will be televised on Fox Sports 1. Uh, as you know, uh, NASCAR is also racing there this weekend, so this will be a big stage for the Arkham Menard Series. But on that same day... On April 22nd at 11.15 p.m. Eastern, uh, that would be 8.15 p.m. Um, that's 11.15 Eastern time. Okay, so that's interesting. So that's going to be, yeah, about 8.15 um, California time. They'll be racing at Kern County Raceway Park, uh, the Napa Auto Parts uh, Blue Def 150, and that is going to be available for uh, subscribers to Flow Racing. You can watch that live streamed. But they'll also have radio coverage over at ARCARacing.com, as well as their uh, ARCA uh, Race Central. Uh, we'll give you live updates from the track. So two big races coming up this weekend. And then a week later, the ARCA East will be back in action for the General Tire 125 on April the 28th at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. That will take place out at Dover Motor Speedway. Again, it will be live-streamed on Flow Racing. But keep in mind, you can watch that East and West race on a delayed broadcast as well. And uh, just to give you an idea, uh, that... Um, the West Race will be delayed broadcast on April 30th at 11 a.m. Eastern on CNBC. And the uh, Dover Race will be delayed broadcast on May 7th at 11 a.m. Eastern time. But I always tell people, make sure you check your local listings just in case there's a change there. Uh, but there is a broadcast schedule that's available at ARCARacing.com if you want to check that out. Let's, um, I know two of our series, excuse me, uh, two of our series have two races in the books, the ARCA, e, the ARCA Menard series as well as the ARCA West. Let's do uh, the point standings for those two series. I know we did it on All right, and- Thursday, but we may have different listeners tonight. Yeah, well, and that's why I always want to recap. Um, you mentioned it. They do have two races in there, getting ready to both run again this weekend. Right now, Greg Van Alst is your points leader in the Arkham Menard Series, having picked up the victory at Daytona. So that kind of uh, bodes well for him anyway, headed into Talladega. He's got the one win uh, with two top tens. But it's only a ten-point gap back to second place Frankie Munez. He's uh, at 71 points, ten behind then you got Tony Constantino, Jesse Love, and our guest here tonight, Christian Rose, 
23, 26, and 27 points back. And then uh, Jack Wood in sixth place at 29 points back. We had a little bit of a gap there for Tyler Reif. Uh, only had one start, but it was a victory. So he's currently seventh in points at minus 34. And I don't know, uh, I haven't seen yet a uh, entry list for Talladega. If he'll be in that one, he will. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. We'll preview it on Thursday. But then you got uh-huh. Connor Mozak, uh, another one. Only has one start, but it was a top five. Then another couple uh, regulars, Andres Perez de Lara uh, from Mexico and Tony Breidinger rounding out the top 10 as they are tied at 43 points each. And also 11th place, uh, John Garrett is tied there as well at 43 points. So as we get to this third race, we'll see this points thing start to shuffle out. We're still real early in these Arkham Menard series, uh, series, so... We'll see those yeah, uh, points have, really start to settle themselves. Yeah, they have a total of 20 races, so uh, this is just the beginning. And I did get confirmation today that Andres uh, Perez de Lora is going to be our guest on Thursday night. So you'll want to uh, tune in for that. I'm really excited that he's going to be able to uh, come on the show and talk with us about racing in the Arkham Arts Series this year. Well, I know you had mentioned that you had somebody you were talking to. Uh, you did a good job of keeping a lid on that one because that's uh, the first I got uh, indication of who it was. So that's great. Uh, I'm happy for Andy. He's going to get to talk to him on Thursday then. Uh, I might have to see if uh, where we're at in our racing, if I can get a gap to <laughs> chime in or uh, at least listen to part of it. If not, I'll listen to it on the way home. Okay, I got gotcha. you. All right. Uh, also, let's uh, let's see if we can cover the um, Arca East. I mean, it's the Arca West. They have two races in. The Arca East, by the way, only has the one race in, so the points are not really. There's really the way it finished. Uh, they really don't have uh, more than that one race, so that's why we're not going to tell you their point standings at this point. All right, for the West, again, they got a pair of races in. Again, we got a points leader that's there because they got one win and two top fives, and that's Tyler Reif. This one, it always seems like the West Series is very competitive. Even with that stat line, Landon Lewis, two top fives as well, is only two points back. Third place, Trevor Huddleston, one top five, two top tens, is 10 points back. Fourth and fifth, 11 points back. Uh, one top five and two top tens for Bradley Erickson and Kyle Keller. Then we have Sean Hingarani is uh, 13 points back. Tanner Reif is 7th at minus 17. Todd Souza, minus 22. Takuma Koga at minus 26. And David Smith, your 10th place uh, in the standing, is minus 27. So real tight group there in the Arkham Menard Series West. And I think I mentioned this on Thursday. Between the Arkham Menard Series and the West here, we got four different countries represented here. We have the Mexican driver of Andres de la Ara Perez. Here we got Takuma Koga from Japan, as well as David Smith from Canada. Not to mention the U.S. <laughs> and yeah, right, the U.S. being the fourth. Exactly. So uh, it's pretty exciting uh, to watch this Arkham Menard series. Um, 
both the East and the West as well as the main series race throughout the year. Uh, and uh, this is no exception. Uh, <clears throat> Jay's not going to be on on Thursday night. Uh, we are looking to have Andy uh, as our co-host for Thursday night, provided he doesn't have to go to work. But uh, I've got a backup plan just in case. But uh, we will preview that Talladega race uh, this Thursday night, as well as the race out of Kern County Raceway as well. So looking forward to uh, doing that with everybody on Thursday night. <clears throat> well, and just uh, real quick, uh, yeah, real quick here, being a, a huge Talladega weekend uh, where I'm at in Mississippi, we are three hours from Talladega. Uh, the impact is still felt here, and, and this was talking to what you would call a casual race fan, not necessarily a uh, in deep, like uh, Sharon and I here, the fan for racing crew, but just talking to people, they're aware of it because they see the haulers come through. Business picks up. Of, you talk about Tuscaloosa along the interstate, sees that travel and the uh, impact it has as teams are traveling through, seeing the haulers. So, and like I said, that's three hours away. That Talladega is such a huge weekend for the NASCAR as well as the Arkham Menards and the dirt track. Okay, and uh, there's a throwback article here over at uh, ArcaRacing.com, and it involves uh, Talladega Super Speedway, recalling the legendary stock car racers who have claimed Talladega glory in the Arca Menards series. Uh, so that's a staff report over at uh, ArcaRacing.com, and uh, it gives you a little bit of the history of the Arkham and Art Series at Talladega and some of the people who have won there in the past. Uh, a great article, and uh, I always love it uh, when they do that over at the website. Uh, the history and the uh, uh, historic value uh, of the Arkham and Art Series really comes to life in these articles. Most certainly, and, and even when we're doing the preview and talking about some of the records that have stand, start talking about some of those drivers, and I say from years past even that I've been in racing, let alone all the way back to the beginning of the Arkham Menard series and NASCAR history, uh, you, you learn like, quite a bit. And I say I feel like I'm a pretty involved race fan, but there's always stuff you can learn and go back and reflect on. It's very interesting. They put up some great articles here at Arkham Menard series homepage. Also, if you are in that Talladega area, like Jay said, you want to get out there to the racetrack. Track. There are tickets that are still available, and uh, you can find out how to. Actually, there's links uh, at Arca Racing where you can get those tickets and uh, be ready for those races this coming weekend. So you want to check that out as well. It takes you right to uh, the Talladega Super Speedway. Um, and then just some general race information about the race, uh, the schedule, uh, and then also the fact that the ARCA West is heading out to Kern County Raceway Park as well this Saturday. So it's going to be a big weekend of racing for the ARCA Menard Series. So uh, looking forward to all of that. Uh, Jay, we can't avoid it any longer. It's time for our fantasy update. <laughs> all right. I uh, couldn't quite stall long enough, huh? No. Actually, uh, looking at it, and we'll start with the truck series. We'll go there, and uh, that's where I really 
really taking a beating this year. But uh, Andy's leading the truck series. He's got 38 points. Tommy at 34. Sharon at 32. Sam 30. Mike at 28. Owen 26. Brian 25, as well as James at 25. And I did manage to stay in the 20s as I got 21 points. So 17 races or 17 points behind. But the Xfinity series, this one's a little tighter up top, Sharon. You got some company. Uh, you did overtake Mike by one point. You got 44. Mike has 43. Uh, James is at 37. And I'm at 33. Me and him actually both took a hit this weekend, it looks like. Andy's at 31. Tommy, 28. And then Brian, Owen, and Sam all at 26. So that one's a little bit more. Got an 18-point gap as well. Oops. Okay. On the cup side. Okay. And now we got good news for me. I still hold this one. (laughs) Yeah, this is one you wanted to skip. You're right. Um, I got a three point lead, 62 points, but I got James and Owen both right there at 59, three points behind. Brian's at 52, Tommy at 48, Mike 46, Sam 45. Andy, 39, and Sharon, you're at 30. So that's a 32-point top to bottom on the cup side. Yeah. It's so hard. All these drivers are so good in the cup series. I pick good drivers. It's just that something always happens. This week it was Kevin Harvick. I thought he was going to go after it, and then something happened with his wheel. Well, and that's what I, I think I messaged Sam. He had the actual odds-on favorite of William Byron, and same thing. He had a little bit of a struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, the good and exciting thing here, when you add up all those, you mentioned it, Sharon, having two good and one bad. The overall, uh, I know we got nine players for the second year in a row. The overall, uh, James is leading at 121. I'm at or Mike's at 117. I'm point behind him. Good thing he's not on to rub that in tonight. Uh, I got 116. <laughs> Owen's at 111. Tommy 110. Andy 108. Sharon 106. Brian 103. Sam 101. So for all three series overall, we are only 20 points separated. So that tells you it is wow. competitive. Uh, we each have a series we're good in and bad in, <laughs> or we're right in the middle across all. To see this far into the season, even 10 races for most of the series. Um, to see that just a 20-point, I think it's going to be a really interesting last uh, week with the playoffs when we get down to it. Is it without a doubt? All right. Uh, now, we have a guest coming up. He's been on our show before. Uh, last year, he was racing with uh, Cook Racing Technologies. This year, he's racing with AM Racing uh, and the Arkham Menard Series, and that is Christian Rose. His car number is number two, uh, and uh, one thing that I really like about Christian Rowe's background is that he played baseball out at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore before he started his motorsports career. Uh, he started racing, actually, uh, in 2018 at Hickory Motor Speedway, and at that point he was racing late models for B.J. McLeod Motorsports, and uh, this year he's going to be racing full-time in the Arkham Menard Series. And we did mention it earlier. He's fifth right now in the series point standings in that series. So uh, his crew chief is Ryan London. He hails from Martinsburg, West Virginia. And uh, I'm really excited 
that we're going to have uh, Christian Rose back on the show here uh, to catch up with him. He, he's been on with us before, and uh, uh, we're going to get that chance to catch up with him with his new team and uh, the fact that he's racing full-time now in the Arkham Menard Series. And he is one, uh, you mentioned, uh, at least once a year, as, as long as I've been doing the uh, show with you, Sharon, I think, um, to have him come on um, is always a great pleasure. And we'll see, like you said, of a, a different aspect to being full-time this year, a lot of different things that we'll get the opportunity to talk to him about here in just a minute or two. Yes, indeed. Uh, he should be joining us shortly. Um, but... Um, uh, again, the Arkham Menard Series, they have a 20-race uh, schedule that they run every year, and uh, this year is no different. There's going to be 20 races, and I want to bring the schedule up here because I want to talk to Christian about uh, some of these tracks uh, that he's maybe never raced on before. And I think when we talked with him before, uh, well, he's here now, so we'll just go ahead and ask him. <laughs> Um, first of all, uh, welcome to the show, Christian. We're real happy to have you back on and uh, uh, catching up with you about uh, racing in the Arkham Menard Series full-time this year. Yeah, absolutely. I, I always appreciate coming on and, and you guys having me. So uh, definitely, you know, always value the time and, and look forward to talking to you when we get the chance. So always thank you. Oh, no problem. We we enjoy it, Christian. And uh, you're also racing with a new team this year. You're driving the number 32 Ford for AM Racing this year. So uh, it's been a little bit of a transition for you. How's, how's that been going? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a blessing. The moment I walked in the, the doors at AM Racing, they have uh, fully embraced uh, bringing me on and, and just believing in me and trusting me, giving me fast race cars. Um, the guys, like, it's just, a everybody has the same common goal and, and rowing the boat in the same direction. So, uh, I think it showed right away at Daytona, uh, we went out, we led some laps there. My first career laps in any series, uh, leading anything. So that was uh, really cool. And it's just a constant belief and, uh, they work their tails off. I mean, there's, there's no doubt they, uh, they, they bring fast cars. They, they do the little things, the little details that make this, this whole thing go. So. Just very grateful for the opportunity, Wade, Kevin, uh, my crew chief, Pickle, um, all the guys that, that, that work on rents on that car. I'm very thankful for the opportunity. Okay. And Austin uh, Self was on the show with us last Thursday. Uh, of course, they, AM Racing launched their dirt division. Uh, are you going to go dirt racing this year with AM Racing? Yeah. I mean, Austin is uh, – Whipping some butt. I mean, he, I think he's won like four already. I know he yeah. won again this weekend. So he's, he's yeah. doing pretty dang good. So uh, I've been talking to him a lot in the shop. And obviously we're going to be, we announced we're running for a championship in the Arca side. So we have to go dirt racing twice this year. So Austin and I have been talking and, and the team. So I think we're going to do some testing and, and get out there and hopefully run a couple of races to get me acclimated to dirt. I've never been on anything but pavement. So definitely going to need to, find that learning curve but i'm excited especially you know with, with him winning as many races as he is he's not going to be a bad one to learn from that's for sure yeah, indeed 
Um, now, I, I do want to, that brings me to my next question. You've got a 20-race schedule with the Arkham and Art Series uh, this year, which is a lot different than what they do in the Arca East or Arca West. Um, and there's going to be tracks uh, that, like you mentioned, you haven't raced at before, and you've got some road course uh, races in there as well. Um, what uh, Which tracks are you looking forward to the most? And which ones, you mentioned dirt, uh, but which ones are you going to find the most challenging? Yeah, uh, I mean, that's a great question. It's definitely a variety. That's the best part about the ARCA series is they do a great job of giving you every style of racetrack that you're going to face going forward in Truck Xfinity, hopefully a couple of them one day. So uh, they do a great job of promoting that. But I, I really look forward to the mile-and-a-half stuff, uh, the Poconos of the world, like the, those places that – we had speed at a lot last year where we didnn't use the brake pedal a lot and really keep the momentum up in the race car. Um, those were places that I had a lot of fun at, and, and I think that we, we showed some speed. Kansas in the fall was a really good race for us. Pocono was until we had an oil line uh, fail on us. So those places for sure. And then surprisingly, uh, Talladega has become something that I'm, I've looked forward to since Daytona. We had such a fast car at Daytona, and it was a lot of fun to work from the back of the field to the front twice and lead some laps. So I'm uh, very optimistic about going down the super speedway racing. Never thought I'd say I'd like super speedway racing, but um, <laughs> it, it's definitely becoming something that I'm enjoying. And in the places I think, like obviously you mentioned the dirt stuff and the road courses are going to be challenging um, for sure for somebody that's never done it. And so there's no doubt I have those, several of those places that'll be challenged. But Bristol's a place that was very tough for me last year. So that's one I'm looking at too, just trying to find a way to be better and work on my craft on, on those kinds of places and what we can do to get better all around as a driver. Okay. This may sound like a silly question, but I know sim racing is available. And for some of those tracks, you'll be able to maybe do some sim racing, but I, I don't know. Do, do they have sim racing for dirt tracks? <laughs> um, I, I, I haven't tried it yet on, uh, I racing. So I was never a big sim guy, uh, but I've been working on it a lot more this year. So uh, it's definitely something that, you know, I'm going to look into here towards the summer months and all that stuff when we start working with Austin. And if it is, then we're going to wear it, wear it out. Um, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I can't say, cause I'm not an eye racing expert. I'll, I'll be honest on that. Okay. Well, you're right now fifth in the series point standings, uh, which is pretty good. And uh, I know that uh, Jay, Jay, is our co-host here tonight. He's looking forward to talking with you and has some questions for you as well, Christian. So I'm going to pass the mic over to Jay. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Sharon, and uh, appreciate you coming on here again, Christian. You've been on here uh, on a fairly regular basis. First off, I'll try and help you out. Uh, Tyler Hudson, one of our local drivers, is sponsored by iRacing, and at the last extravaganza, I myself got to run Eldor on dirt on the sim. So it is available. I don't know what tracks are available, but um, you can get some dirt experience, I'll tell you that. And I hope you do a lot better than I did. I'll just say say that. (laughs) I I appreciate Um, that. I'm looking forward to trying to figure out the dirt side of things. So AM, I'll I'll say this, Gustine, I don't think had any dirt experience. He went and sat on the pole. So uh, his first race out there. So they, they bring a good dirt car. So, they're, they're going to get me right, and we'll be ready for it. With that, uh, you know, Sharon mentioned we had uh, Austin Self on last week, and he talked about the, the program that has been started with their, their DIRT program. 
A couple of things I wanted to touch on there of one for, for you as a driver, um, to have that to me, it's a, from the outside looking in, I, I say that's got to show, you mentioned the support you're getting a lot of confidence in you that with the Arkham Menard series as their primary, uh, you're full time with them this year. They know you got that, that they can expand and focus on some other things. Um, whereas if they didn't necessarily have the team right in the Arkham Menard series, they wouldn't expand. So how does that impact you? And I know you, you mentioned you're a part of it. It's going to give you experience, but just the growth of the team. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I, I from the moment I walked in there, they, they told me their vision and what their plans were going forward and, and what they wanted to do. And uh, it, it's the main reason we decided to be there. It's a very family-oriented uh, shop. They're, they're, I mean, my, I just had a had my first baby. He's 13 weeks old, and then I brought him to the shop a few times when we haven't had a babysitter, and it's no uh, asking questions or anything. They're just amazing at, at all the stuff they do but as you hit on expanding the race team their vision it's it's an incredible i mean you rolled a dirt program out and austin's going out and won three or i want to say four races but i i know it's at least three um <clears throat> then you got somebody like brett moffitt um to lean on and, and talk to brett is obviously a truck series champion and uh has experience at every level on nascar so uh he, he's a great guy and a great great mentor for me right now and then i have tony reigns up top as a spotter so They've given me the resources, and then you got Ford, you know, on board at the shop and everything, bringing us fast uh, Mustangs as well. So they they really have given me everything I need, and it's just really up to me now to work on my craft, get better as a driver. But they have just been incredible about their vision and what their plans are, and, and it's it's I think you're going to have some fun surprises of what they're doing and planning to go forward as well. Well, you kind of already answered this question. I'm going to ask it again in a, in a different aspect, but uh, might have some of the same answers. Uh, any driver, if HMS uh, or Joe Gibbs Racing were to call, you'd be uh, foolish not to take the opportunity. But you made the decision to go to AM Racing and help build as they're in the beginning stages of expanding and now into the dirt as well as asphalt. What's it like to be a part of an organization like that that is starting out and building and becoming possibly the next powerhouse team at, at the top series? I, I mean, it's it's a blessing. I'll say that. And it's a great opportunity to feel. I mean, they wanted me. They, they, they you know, Wade texted me a couple times, like, hey, you know, where are we at? What are we doing? And it, it's been one of those deals that I, I was very fortunate to – have that connection with those guys right away and, and see the vision and what they've done. So I wouldn't want to race anywhere else. I mean, they, they believe in me and it's, it's a very powerful thing to have a bunch of people that understand that I don't have a lot of racing experience under my belt, but are willing to work with me and understand there's going to be bumps in the road and understand that what our goal is, you know, going forward and, and not just this year. And they've just been incredible of, of helping me get to that level, giving me all the resources we need to get better uh, <clears throat> put the right tools in my hands to, to really show that, you know, we belong. And, and it, it was one of those things that when we went somewhere, I, I was not going to just sign to be, say, I'm a, on, you know, so-and-so's racing. It was like we had to find the right fit and the right mold, and, and they fit that category in every every which way, from the family side and, and you know, the, the greater, you know, possibilities of what they've got going on. It's just that they have been amazing. Well, my last question here is very specific to this coming weekend in, in Talladega. Uh, you mentioned leading laps at Daytona, so that's got to give you some confidence. But a track like Talladega and Daytona, 
especially if it's a new track to you. It can be intimidating, I imagine. Um, but what's the mindset for you going in of, of a race that you know can be out of your control? So what is it you do that you know you can control, I guess, to put yourself in the best position when it comes down to the end? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's – I think you said it the best. It, it's, it's something you – Dega and Daytona, are, there's a lot of things that are out of your control. So the biggest thing we can do is just control what we do, uh, try not to make abrupt moves, try not to, you know, do something dumb that's going to cause a big wreck or, or cause a problem. And it really put all of our cards out there and try to be smart and, and run our race and, and let, the, let it fold out the way it does because you can – going with a plan and a strategy on how you want it to go. And it's just, you know, it might go to the complete opposite way. We were running, I think, eighth or ninth on lap two at Daytona. And we got basically, I think a car popped out of gear or something is what I was told. And we, we ended up uh, playing bumper cars pretty hard and knocking our ductwork up. And, and we had to battle back from that and, and pit five times. We got lucky with the cautions to work on it and, and they got it right. But it's it, from lap two, that's how quick that happened. So, um, you just never know. So the best thing we can do is just run our race, run our strategy, and let the cars wind up and play out the way they do. All right. Well, before I turn it back over to Sharon here to wrap things up, uh, I'm going to end the same way I did last week with Austin Self. I'm going to ask you for a favor. I grew up watching Kevin Sawinski in the ASA series. I'd like to see him back behind a car. So you guys help with that campaign <laughs> and uh, persuasion, if you will, uh, Get him on that schedule of races you guys are doing, all right? You, you know ASA's back, and you know where he, he was pretty dang good at. So I, I, uh, I, I think you might be able to convince him. Good deal, good deal. Thank you, Christian. Sharon? Absolutely. Uh, Jay is on a one-man campaign, and he's recruiting people from AM Racing to help him on the trip. <laughs> <laughs> I, hey, I would love to see Kevin back behind the wheel, and he's still got it in him. He, he does. You, you know, we, we talk a lot of racing in the shop, and, and he's been an amazing guy. So uh, it, it's been fun to work with him, and I love that. I, I would love to see him behind the wheel, too. Yep, yep, no doubt. Um, and and uh, we know that he's a, uh, uh, been really great at AM Racing as well. Um, now, I noticed you got West Virginia Tourism back as a sponsor, uh, or do you have other sponsors that have come on board? Yeah, we do. Uh, West Virginia Tourism has been amazing to us. They have given us an opportunity again to go run and fight for a championship, and uh, our state numbers were the highest they ever were. So very thankful to have them back. But it's very exciting. Uh, Steve Pearson and Secure Testing Services, they are the uh, a drug testing uh, company out of Richmond, Virginia. They do on-site testing. Um, they, they are just an amazing people. Uh, they give you a story to kind of people they are. They surprised me out of Phoenix with my baby and my wife and flew them out. Um, and it was very just a such a cool experience to have my wife and my baby there uh, just five weeks old. So, I mean, Steve and Sarah, uh, they, they're more friends than, than sponsors, and they've just been phenomenal. So if I could recommend if anybody's out there listening to this and, and needs some sort of drug testing, rapid testing, on-site testing, uh, look up Secure Testing Services and give them a shout. Um, we have the Disability Opportunity Fund. They have been incredible. Uh, <clears throat> they're out of West Virginia or New York, but they have <clears throat> businesses in West Virginia. And we have a really cool giveaway we're going to be doing with them this summer, so stay tuned on that one. We also have Warwood Tool, which is a West Virginia company that's come on board, and we have brought on Mountaineer uh, Pub and Rub again. And 
I don't. I think that covers them all right now. So it's been a oh extreme family fitness as well. So we've just been very blessed to have the partners and the relationships grow that we have this year. It's it's been a amazing journey and, and thankful for all of them to allow me to chase my dream. That is awesome, um, Christian. Uh, congratulations on becoming a father uh, with the baby boy and. Uh, uh, I'm real happy that they, your sponsors are including them uh, as so much into your racing career. Uh, let's make sure fans know how they can follow you on social yeah. media because you mentioned some things coming up here, giveaways and things. Uh, we want to make sure everybody gets a chance to participate. Yeah, absolutely. It's at C Rose Racing on Twitter. Be sure to follow us there. We're doing a lot of giveaways and secure testing services and. Um, we're going to have some stuff with Western Virginia and BOF coming up for that as well. On Instagram, it is Christian Rose Racing and the same with Facebook and the same for the website. So give us a check. Uh, check, check us out. Follow us. Um, we're going to be giving away a lot of stuff and looking forward to anybody that wants to follow our channels and reach out and see us at the racetrack. All right. Well, we're going to reach out to you again sometime during the season here and just uh, catch up with you again. Uh, it's always uh, enjoyable having you on the show, and, and we enjoy uh, just having the conversation with you about your career. So thank you, Christian, for being available, and uh, good luck this weekend out at Talladega. Thank you. I appreciate you guys so much for having me, and, and I'll work on that Kevin thing. We'll see what we can work out. <laughs> I'm sure Jay will appreciate that. That's that's great news. Yeah, that's great news. Yeah, well, thank you guys. I appreciate it. I always enjoy coming on. You guys are you guys do an awesome show, and, and just very blessed to have the opportunity to speak to you guys. Appreciate it. Well, thank you, Christian. Uh, we enjoy it as well. Take care now. You too. Thank you. All right. That is Christian Rose, uh, the Arkham and Art Series driver of the number 32 Ford out at AM Racing. Uh, another great interview uh, with Christian Rose. He's always so much fun to talk to and uh, always uh, gives us great information about what's going on. really does. And with the team they're building there, I uh, look forward to his career down the line. You know, as he said, it, yeah. his experience level and it comes to dirt. But to see that building, getting to know him now, we've talked about that. It's great to have a show like this getting to know these drivers before their their name is really well known because um, you see who they are. You know, you don't always get that chance as they get to the top level, um, but to know where they came from and how they got here and keep up with them year to year or with multiple times throughout the year is really great. So we appreciate Christian Rose being on here. All right. That is uh, very, very true. Okay. Uh, we're going to move on to our uh, review of the Craftsman Truck Series race. Uh, that took place out at Martinsville Speedway this past weekend, the Long John Silvers 200. Corey Heim was the race winner at age 20, driving the number 11 Safelite Toyota uh, for Tricon Garage uh, with his crew chief, Scott Zipidelli. It was his third victory in just 26 Truck Series races, his first victory and fifth top 10 finish in this year, and his first victory and first top ten finish in two races at Martinsville Speedway. He's a quick study. Kyle Busch finished second. It was his ninth top ten finish in 12 races at Martinsville and his third top ten finish this year. Uh, that's just for the truck series. Uh, Zane Smith finished third. He posted his fourth top ten finish in four races at Martinsville. 
And Taylor Gray was, uh, he finished eighth. He was the highest finishing rookie of the race. And then um, let me just kind of pull this up here real quick. Um, Corey Heim uh, prevailed at Martinsville Speedway on Friday night to earn his first Truck Series victory this season after persevering through both rain and dry conditions, two red flag periods for weather, and multiple charges by the highly motivated veteran, Bush. Uh, as we mentioned, um, the race, the start of the race was delayed by two hours after severe weather, and the first time in, for the first time in NASCAR history on a short track oval, the race actually began on wet weather tires as the track was still damp at the start. The race uh, was incident-free through the competition caution lap on 27, lap 27, when NASCAR deemed the racing surface dry enough for teams to switch to their slick tires. Heim uh, got the lead from uh, Kyle Busch on lap 43 after the restart for the competition caution. He led every lap through the shortened conclusion on lap 124 for a total of 82 laps led. Uh, Bush and the pole sitter were the only other drivers to lead laps. Uh, the pole sitter was um, Zane Smith. Um, they were the only drivers to lead laps Friday night. They finished second and third. Ty Majeski, Tanner Gray, Ben Rhodes, Matt Benedetto, Taylor Gray all finished in positions fourth through eight. Then it was William Solovich making his series debut, scoring a strong ninth-place finish, followed by Chase Purdy, who rounds out the top ten. There are only two lead changes among those three drivers and six cautions for 63 yellow flag laps, mainly due to weather. And the average speed of the race was 46.849 miles per hour. Uh, your thoughts, Jay, about the top ten here? Well, first I want to start with, and this is one of the ones where I can tell already, don't want to get too far into hot topics, but you mentioned it, <laughs> history-making, wet weather tires on a damp track condition. Keep those words in mind when we get to hot topics. Yes, um, yes. That actually uh, did what it was supposed to uh, from my viewpoint, um, but Corey Heim uh, talked about it. He was a part-time driver for KBM under Toyota last year, when he switched over to KBM Motorsports, switched over to Chevrolet, he stayed with Toyota and part of Tricon Garage to battle Kyle Busch in those uh, laps there. And really, realistically, knowing the weather was coming and what the conditions they were under, outdid him on the restart. I mean, that's what got him the position was a restart. And if you can outdo Kyle Busch on a restart, you've accomplished something. So, uh Great way to finish that one. Uh, I know it wasn't the full length of the race. Uh, we all would have liked to have seen that, but I think we got some good racing as it was. I would agree with you. Nick Sanchez uh, uh, finished in the uh, 11th spot. Russ Hassane right behind him and Jake Garcina, Garcia right behind him. Uh, Jake and Nick are both uh, uh, rookies. So Taylor Gray also had a top 10 finish. Uh, so it really was a, a pretty amazing race. All of the drivers ended up racing uh, to the finish of this race. Uh, a few of them finished a, a few laps early. Uh, Stephen Malazzi uh, was racing uh, this weekend. He finished 36th. He only he uh, 
what finished laps down on lap, he was put in 116 laps. Uh, Brad Perez, also racing uh, this weekend, uh, put in 118 laps. Uh, and then about three drivers, Lawless Allen, Mason Massey, and Carson Hosevar all got in 122 of the 124 laps. And then several drivers here, Caden Honeycutt, Jonathan Schaefer, Stuart Friesen, Daniel Dye, all were one lap down. Uh, but all of these cars were running at the end of this race, which is, you don't hear that very often in the truck series. Well, uh, kind of preview again, hot topics, Carson Osovar, two laps down. That was because he was parked for two laps. We'll get into that. I believe that's on our hot topic list. Um, but was still running, as you mentioned. Uh, you hit on the rookies. Uh, Taylor Gray being the top finishing rookie in ninth spot, but Sanchez in 11th. Jake Garcia uh, had been getting top 10 finishes just outside it this week at 13th. Uh, those are ones you, you really want to keep your eye on. I think we're going to oh, see yeah. some great things. Uh, I know William Solich uh, isn't listed as a rookie because he's not running for the rookie of the year here in the truck series he's got a couple starts i believe but as you mentioned his debut with a, a very uh strong 10th place finish or ninth place finish sorry exactly pretty impressive for a short track like martinsville uh normally it's a veterans type of a track so to have so many rookies do so well at martinsville i think uh speaks uh, volumes here so I know it, they had uh, rain conditions they were dealing with, the two red flags they were dealing with. Um, uh, you know, they had veterans in the in the race with uh, Kyle Bush and Ross Castain, uh, as well as the uh, veterans of the of the um, series. So it, it really was an interesting race, and uh, it, it was a big day for uh, Corey Heim to get that victory. So uh, big uh, shout-out to him. Uh, but let's go ahead and cover the points report as well, Jay, if you want to go over that. Yep. Uh, oh, I did. Hold on one second. I thought I had it loaded and it reset on me. I'll just, I'll just say here, uh, Ty Majeski is at the top of the leaderboard for the points. And All right. oh, by the way, there we you go. mentioned earlier, Ty Majeski is one of those Alan Kowicki driver development drivers. He is indeed, and uh, I'm uh, I'm going off the one where it shows it strictly by points. It's not showing the reset, which it will when we get to the playoffs. But right now, strictly based on points, you mentioned it. Ty Majeski, after seven races, is your points leader by 26 points over Zane Smith, who does have the two victories. Um, so that'll move him up on the reset. But right now, Ty Majeski, Zane Smith, Ben Rhodes, Corey Heim in four spot, picking up the victory, um, helps bump him up later on. Christian Eckes in the fifth spot with uh, McAnally Hilgeman racing. Uh, six on back, you got Grant Enfinger, Matt Crafton, Tanner Gray, Matt Benedetto, Chase Purdy. And I believe in the truck series at 10 is the playoff cutoff, right? That is correct. All right. But so we do then, have a couple of drivers that are below that cut line that have victories, or at least one. There you go. Yep. Well, first off, we got the two rookies. And I know when we had Nick Sanchez on, I think he was 
just inside the cut line. He's in 11th right now on the outside looking in, and then Jake Garcia. But Carson Hosevar right now in 13th does have that victory, so that will bump him up. Um, so that will shift that by one more position. So that actually puts Chase Purdy now on the outside. Um, mm-hmm. I want to give a shout-out there. He's another driver. I mentioned Spencer Hughes on the dirt side. Him and Chase Purdy grew up together. Um, I know when Chase started going into the Arkham Menards East series, uh, followed along with him. So uh, I know he's running with KBM. They're kind of getting their footing under him. Um, I think we're going to see him get into that top ten with a win, hopefully here in the in the next few races. And and by extension, they're kind of uh, teammates, uh, Nick Sanchez and Chase Purdy, because uh, they are uh, Rev Racing is working with KBM as an affiliate. So uh, it, it really is kind of cool to see that. Uh, most certainly, and you're right, we did talk about that when we had Nick Sanchez on of Rev Racing having that alliance with KBM and what they've done. Um, and, and there as a whole, I know KBM, when they switched from Toyota to Chevy, went from, what they, I think Kyle had four full-time and the one truck part-time or, or something to that effect, only having the two but doing the alliance there too. I think we see over the next couple of years KBM in Chevrolet build back up to what they had with, with it at Toyota. Uh, but it's going to take some time as it was a changeover. Yes. And I do want to mention real quick here, too, the next race for um, the truck series is the Heart of America 200 at Kansas Speedway. Uh, That race will be on May the 6th. That's a Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern, and it will be televised on Fox Sports 1 uh, with the radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM. So they'll be off this weekend, uh, but uh, we are looking forward to seeing them back on track there at uh, Kansas Speedway uh, that will be coming up here. So let's go ahead and move over to the Xfinity Series uh, because they uh, raced this past weekend at uh, Talladega. I'm sorry, at Martinsville Speedway. They raced the call. 811.com before you dig 250. And John Hunter Nemechek was the race winner at age 25, driving the number 20 Pi Barker Fire and Safety Toyota. Uh, somebody mentioned uh, taking advantage of that sponsor with his burnout <laughs> at the end of the race. Uh, I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, of course, uh, John Hunter Nemechek races with Joe Gibbs Racing, and his crew chief is Ben Bashor. Uh, it was his fourth victory in 75 Xfinity Series races, his second victory and seventh top ten finish this year. His first victory and first top ten finish in one race at Martinsville. Sammy Smith uh, finished in second place. He posted his first top ten finish in two races at Martinsville and his third top ten finish this year. Cole Custer, the pole sitter, uh, finished in third place, posting his first top ten finish in one race at Martinsville Speedway. And Sammy Smith, uh, who was second, was the highest finishing rookie of the race. And we should mention that John Hunter Nemechek also won that Xfinity Series Dash for Cash bonus money at Martinsville. And now, uh, in addition to Nemechek, uh, Cole Custer, Sammy Smith, and Josh Berry have also qualified for the Dash for Cash bonus uh, contention 
at Talladega Super Speedway next weekend. Uh, also, uh, John Hunter Nemechek actually cashes in on a dominating Martinsville performance. He led 198 of 250 laps in order to win. He bested his Joe Gibbs Racing teammate Sammy Smith by 1.518 seconds to earn his second Xfinity Series victory this year. Uh, he also won at Auto Club Speedway in February. Um, it was his first win in his first series start at Martinsville, so that was pretty cool as well. Um, again, it was his second win of the season. He took over the regular season uh championship lead because he swept all three stages uh, on the, in this race. Sammy Smith made a move on the last lap uh, to finish second. Cole Custer earned his best finish of the season in third. Then it was Josh Berry and Brandon Jones rounding out the top five. Uh, Justin Algauer, Daniel Hemrick, Derek Krause, Brett Moffitt, and Chandler Smith round out the top ten. Nemechek, as we mentioned, won both stages, moving his total to three-stage wins through the first eight races. There were seven lead changes among six drivers and ten cautions for 83, I'm sorry, 82 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race, 59.398 miles per hour. Your thoughts, uh, Jay, about the top ten drivers here in the Xfinity Series? A lot of different stories here. Uh, we'll start with John Hunter Nemechek, and you mentioned that uh, margin of victory of, of just over a second. I, I think that was as big as it had been all race. Uh, there was some great racing up front. Um, Sammy Smith thought maybe he was going to get his second victory. Cole Custer, we've been waiting for this as he came back to the Xfinity Series, has not had the strongest of starts, but we know the driver he is and what he can do in the Xfinity Series. I think we're starting to see that t- uh, team um, hit their stride as uh, he looked like he may be the dominant one, but was right in there all weekend. Josh Berry, Brandon Jones both run so good at that track, junior motorsports as a whole, as you got Justin Algar. But these three here, uh, Daniel Hemrick, another one, has not exactly had the strongest of starts, had a good run all weekend. Derek Krause in that number 10 for college racing, and I don't know how many races he's going to do, but we've seen some good runs, in this, in this case, a finish there for Derek Krause. Uh, AM mm-hmm. Racing's Brett Moffitt in the ninth spot, and then Chandler Smith. Uh, we know as a rookie, he's already got a victory. That would be the other thing i take from that. We say Martinsville is a veteran track. Sammy Smith, the top rookie, was in second. Chandler in tenth. Eleventh was Parker Retzlaff, and then Blaine Perkins in thirteenth. So yes, um, rookies that? starting to figure it out. They are, uh, and uh, that's really good to see. Uh, Going from the bottom of the list here, we've got Caden Honeycutt. He had an engine issue that took him out of the race on lap 83. Joe Graff Jr. uh, involved in an accident, taking him out of the race on 133. Uh, Dawson Cram involved in an accident, taking him out on lap 143. Kyle Sieg, also in an accident, uh, out on lap 145. Kyle Weatherman had a suspension issue that took him out of the race on lap 198. Um, Connor Mosack uh, finished laps down. Uh, he uh, got in 100, or 205 laps, uh, but he was running at the end of the race. 
Jeremy Clements uh, was out on lap 210 due to an accident. Sam Mayer was out on lap 221, again, involved in an accident. And Riley Earps, that makes me sad to see this for Riley, out on lap 222 because of an accident. He's had such a good season going, uh, it's a shame that he was involved in that accident uh, and had this uh, finish at 30th uh, this weekend. Uh, but all in all, uh, a couple of drivers, Brendan Poole finished laps down. He finished, uh, got in 246 laps of the 250. And Ryan Ellis was just one lap down. He got in 249 of the uh, 250 laps. And by the way, there's a great storyline uh, uh, surrounding Ryan Ellis. Uh, because of a tweet, he picked up a new sponsor uh, for the Talladega race. Uh, so I think that's pretty cool, uh, and and uh, I might write about it, in fact, uh, because uh, it's such a cool story for uh, Ryan Ellis and uh, how he picked up that sponsor. A tweet. Well, that, yep, based, based off on a tweet. That's uh, that's good to see, and, uh, and that's one of the positive things. I know, you know I'm one especially, I, I get kind of negative about social media, but there are advantages and it is a tool and can be used for good. And that's one of them. I know we talked with uh, Greg Van Alst as far as his Daytona win and how that all went when it comes to sponsors and social media. So uh, there are good things to it uh, when used properly. So that's always good to see, like you said. Exactly. Definitely watch for his car raising cane this weekend out at um, uh, Talladega Super Speedway. Well, and it, with this, uh, we talked about it. Of uh, maybe didn't see it as much in the trucks, but the air in the cup. But the Xfinity Series, we saw some of the short track bumping and banging. Uh, no helmets got thrown, but there was some waving. We had a couple of situations. Uh, hopefully, we don't see it come to fruition at Talladega. But I think there's going to be some drivers have other drivers in their mind uh, over the next couple <laughs> races. Uh, Sheldon Creed. Did not get the finish. He deserved finishing 27th, no. as well as Sam Merritt 31st. Uh, they started third and fifth, and were one of the, the two of those that were up there battling in the top ten throughout the race as well. Just in those closing laps, there was a couple of situations uh, uh, that developed. Yeah, and and you know it's it's kind of a byproduct of short track racing. There's going to be bumping and banging, and sometimes it's going to be okay. And other times uh, it, it ends up in a wreck, and that's when uh, people's feelings get hurt and uh, the emotions kind of take over. But um, uh, for sure, I thought Martinsville put on good racing in uh, both the Truck Series race, uh, despite the weather, and then also uh, for the Xfinity Series race, and we'll talk about the Cup race here in just a few minutes. Overall, uh, having watched all three, um, I think the Xfinity Series was the most competitive throughout, and I'll say the top 20, I'd say, um, that you really saw some great battles throughout the the field. The the truck race, it was tough to say, because like you said, we had a couple of weather delays, and there were some uh, issues with the with the weather as far as under the damp, uh, damp weather uh, tires, but... I, again, we'll get into that hot topics, but in hot topics, but um, throughout the field, even up front, like I said, John Hunter uh, obviously did lead 198 laps, but there was cars right behind him. Uh, I think a couple of times, and 
when him and teammate Sammy Smith were around each other, there may have been some uh, fenders rubbing and paint swapping. Uh, I, th- I thought it was kind of funny. I don't know if you listened to the broadcast, Sharon. Uh, being that they're now wrapped, uh, you know, is it really uh, paint swapping anymore? Is it wrap wrinkling, I think, is one of, one of the broadcasters <laughs> called it. But uh, there is some exchanging of sponsors between two cars, put it that way. Uh, and that was between teammates. I mean, that's how intense it gets on the track. Yes. That's, but that's Martinsville. Uh, if you've been watching racing for any length of time, that's the way racing goes at Martinsville Speedway. Uh, let's go ahead and cover the points report, Jay. Twelve All drivers right. in this one. Uh, you mentioned John Hunter Nemechek with that second victory did pick up the points lead. And he's got it by 21 points over Austin Hill, who has three victories. He's a, he's another one. Started off real strong. Has had a couple of hiccups lately, uh, falling back a little bit. But he's got the three victories to fall back on. So still going to be a great season. We'll see him in the playoffs. Uh, third place, our rookie Chandler Smith. They got the one victory. He is actually in points-wise third spot, 34 points back. Riley Herbst, uh, another one you mentioned, uh, had a couple of rough weeks, but currently sitting in four spot based on, I believe it was five consecutive top tens for the year, uh, seven dating into last year. So sitting in a good position. Josh Berry is in uh, fifth spot. Junior Motorsports teammate Justin Algar in sixth. Another rookie, Sammy Smith, with the victory and points, sitting in the seventh spot. And we got Cole Custer getting his season going in the right direction. Daniel Hemrick, Sheldon Creed, and Sam Mayer now, and one more, Parker Kligerman. There we go. Your 10th, 11th, and 12th. Uh, they're in that bubble line, but we've seen it. I actually thought Sam Mayer, I picked him to get his first victory there. Uh, didn't happen. Sheldon Creed's another one. Uh, just a little bit of luck change. We're going to see a victory from him with uh, RCR. And then Parker Kligerman with, um, I need your help, Sharon. I drew a blank. Big Machine Racing? Yeah, Is that the correct? The 48? There we go. Yeah. There we go. Big machine racing. Right now in the 12th spot on the cut line, separated by nine points, but it's from Brandon Jones, who's in the junior motorsports number nine. Another one, in his, in his interview, he talked about it, switching over to Chevrolet and junior motorsports coming from Joe Gibbs. Uh, I think as the season progresses, we're going to see that team build up a head of steam. So that cut mm-hmm. line is going to get rather interesting. Yes, it is, <laughs> and and uh, I, I'm looking forward to watching more in the Xfinity Series. Now, they will be racing out at Talladega this weekend, uh, and uh, I'll just give you the headline of that uh, particular race. They are racing the Ag Pro 300 Saturday, April the 22nd at 4 p.m. Eastern. They will have qualifying on Friday, the 21st, from 5.30 to 7, and uh, there'll be one lap, two rounds, and that will be televised on FS1 radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM. And Jay and I, or not Jay, but Andy and I will be previewing that race on Thursday night. I want to give one other big shout-out. I mean, there's every team here, you got uh, good storylines going, but going down 23rd in points, Ryan Trex, uh was in the number 19 Joe Gibbs Racing in three starts compared to the eight starts they've had. He's only had three, sitting uh, 23rd in points 
and looks like he's above teams that have eight, seven, five, eight, eight, five, seven starts. Uh, obviously doing a tremendous job in the opportunity he's got. I can't wait to see when he gets a full-time ride and can run for a championship. Okay. If you, I mentioned uh, Raising Canes and uh, Ryan Ellis. Uh, if you want to get a view of what his uh, car is going to look like out of Talladega, they've got a picture of it over at Jay's Keys and uh, Raising Cane, uh, the fact that they are going to be sponsoring uh, Ryan Ellis and Alpha Prime Racing this weekend in that number 43 Chevy Camaro for the Ag Pro 300 at Talladega this Saturday. So uh, uh, you can check out a lot of the details over there at Jay Skis, and it's a pretty sharp-looking car, Jay. Yeah, I'll have to check that out uh, when I get the chance here after the show. Thank you. Okay. Uh, a lot of new sponsors for different teams. You want to check that out over at Jay Skis. Um and Jay, Junior Motorsports is having a fan day. Uh, that's set for May the 25th. So it's an annual uh, event. It's set for uh, Thursday, May the 25th at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Uh, and uh, it will be served by a longtime partner, Hellman's. Uh, so it gives fans a, a chance to interact with the Junior Motorsports organization. So pretty cool to see uh, teams doing that. A lot of times they do it right around the time that the races are happening at Charlotte Motor Speedway, uh, and a lot of the drivers are in town, uh, you know, and able to be a part of those fan day events. Yeah, most certainly. I think you mentioned a lot of the teams do. I know Junior Motorsports is one of those that is very fan interactive when it comes to that. Um, Dale Earnhardt Jr. and that team do a great job with that. Uh, I know I think I've been through Roush Fenway uh, when they had one. Um, but, yeah, that's where the uh, All-Star Weekend normally – I know the All-Star Race is at uh, North Wilkesboro this year, but back when it was uh, the week before the Coca-Cola 600, that week in between. I mean, you could spend that entire week going to different fan uh, – days in different shops there throughout the week. Uh, yep. The teams really did open up for that. All right. Well, Kyle Larson got a monkey off his back. We're going to move on to the uh, Cup Series. He won this weekend at Martinsville Speedway for the NOCO 400 at age 30, driving the number five HendrickCars.com Chevrolet for Hendrick Motorsports, and his crew chief, was Cliff Daniels. It was his 21st victory in 304 Cup Series races, his second victory and fourth top 10 finish this year, and his first victory and fifth top 10 finish in 17 races at Martinsville Speedway. Joey Logano was second, posting his 17th top 10 finish in 29 races at Martinsville, and his fifth top 10 finish this year. Martin Truex Jr. in third posted his 16th top 10 finish in 35 races at Martinsville. And Ty Gibbs, finishing 18th, was the highest finishing rookie of that race. Uh, he claims his, Kyle Larson claimed his first victory at Martinsville uh, for the Hendrick Motorsports uh, team. He gambled late in the race with a two-tire pit stop to give him a fighting chance for victory, and he took the opportunity and drove away to a commanding 4.142-second win in Sunday's NOCO 400, 
our race at Martinsville Speedway. Uh, it used to be, Jay, that you had to have fresh tires if you wanted to win a race, uh, and taking two tires uh, was a big gamble uh, in the days of yore, if you will. But uh, with this next-gen car, the two tires did it. And uh, the 2021 champion's first victory at the famed half-mile track, uh, making the pass for the win uh, with 30 laps left to run. Uh, But then having to hold off another past champion, Joey Logano, whose runner-up finished Sunday, was also an impressive considering he had to start at the rear of the field after post-qualifying adjustment to his 22 Team Penske Ford. Um, The win, again, was his second of the year. He also um, won earlier this year uh, his first win at Martinsville. Logano finished second, followed by Martin Truex Jr., then it was Denny Hamlin, Chase Briscoe, Eric Almirola. Big, uh, uh, day for Stuart Haas Racing, Ryan Blaney, Ricky Stenhouse, Bubba Wallace, and Chase Elliott, who uh, came back after having a leg injury uh, to have a top 10 finish. Larson took the lead for the first time with 29 laps left and pulled away to win by more than four seconds. The pole sitter, Ryan Priest, led the first 136 laps of the race, but he was caught speeding on pit road and remained stuck in traffic for the rest of the race. He ended up finishing 15th. Stage 1 was won by Ryan Priest. Stage 2 was won by Kevin Harvick. There were 10 lead changes among 9 drivers, 5 cautions for 50 yellow flag laps, and the average speed of the race, 74.005 miles per hour. Your thoughts, Jay, about the top 10 finishers at Martinsville here in the Cup Series? Well, this is one I, we say it on every race. You can't just read the stat line in the finishing order. This race especially, if you watch the first two stages or any parts of them, um, not at all what you see here on the finishing order. Um, we'll start with Kyle Larson. He was having a solid day, um, but you mentioned it. Of They were at the, the last uh, caution coming with, the, what, 30-some laps to go. You saw everything. Drivers that stayed out, Joey Logano being one of them, got second. No tires. Uh, Denny Hamlin, I think, did the same, faded back to fourth. Kyle Larson went with two tires, uh, got by Joey Logano and held off. Martin Truex, though, got third. He was, I think, the top guy that had taken four tires and was coming through the field, I think, in the closing laps. Him and Chase Elliott were the ones that had the uh, fastest lap times, actually. Um, So it really overall throughout the day, kind of flipped the whole running order. Uh, you mentioned, uh, who was it? Uh, Ryan Priest started on the pole, looked very dominant to begin with, got caught in the back and the, the way things shuffled out. I know I heard him say it. Joey Logano, prior to that last caution, his average running position was 23rd. Uh, he had worked his way up, got back on the lead lap after going a lap down from starting in the back for that adjustment. Um, really just didn't have quite have the car to get up any further, but based on circumstances, stayed out with uh, no tires, did his best. I, and I loved his interview afterwards. Uh, you know, and we talk about him, one can be aggressive. He said he knew Larson was going to get to him. He knew Larson was going to bump him. He was expecting it. He said he held him off as long as he could and then still managed to hold on to second because, again, Martin Truex and Denny Hamlin were both there. 
Yes, uh, it, it was. You're, you're absolutely right about this race. It was one of those races uh, you didn't want to leave early because uh, who you thought was going to win the race ended up not finishing the race. And um, pit strategy was a big part of the day uh, for who, who did win this race. And uh, it, it was, uh, I thought it was a very good race to watch. Um, now, there were, again, Kyle Larson winning by over four seconds was just amazing. Uh, but some drivers uh, did finish some laps down. Uh, only one driver did not finish the race, uh, and unfortunately that was J.J. Yaley. Uh, he was out on lap 337. Anthony Alfredo uh, finished the race but was, uh, uh, let's see, he was uh, 10 laps down when he finished. Zane Smith, uh, again, finished the race uh, but uh, only got 395 of the 400 in. Austin Sindrick was down three laps uh, but finished the race. Uh, Ty Dillon was down three laps but finished. Eric Jones down two laps along with Noah Gregson and Harrison Burton uh, and Justin Haley. They were all two laps down. And then A.J. Allmendinger, Corey LaJoy, and Todd Gilliland uh, were all one lap down at the finish of the race. Uh, 24 cars on the lead lap at the conclusion of the NOCO 400. So uh, a pretty... Again, a, a really interesting race uh, because uh, there were actually 10 lead changes among nine drivers in this particular race. You had Ryan Priest, Ross Chastain, Kevin Harvick, Chase Briscoe, Denny Hamlin, Brad Keselowski, Daniel Suarez, uh, Joey Logano, and Kyle Larson, all uh, leaders of this race at one point or another. And... Uh, you know, at one point you thought it was going to be uh, Chase Briscoe or Kevin Harvick or Denny Hamlin. Uh, I mean, you, Joey Logano, you just didn't know um, until the end of this race who was going to be the race winner, which made it exciting for me. Well, and a big thing, uh, you mentioned uh, the cars running. I believe that J.J. Yaley was the only one not actually running at the end. Anthony Elfrey, right. 10 laps down. But other than that, Zane Smith, only five laps that he didn't make. 33rd up, uh, um, that were only two, three laps, sorry, three laps off. Um, yeah, that's what I just the, went the over. Pace. So, yeah, I mean, that, that tells you it's kind of like Talladega at that point, you know, if something happens. Not saying you can go from the front or from the back to the front like at Talladega, but you can certainly move up some positions, unfortunately. If ones are moving up, that means some are moving back. Um, you right. mentioned Kevin Harvick. He he had a tire issue. Todd Gillen lost his cylinder. He was in the top 10 to 15 for the majority of that race. Lost the cylinder there at the end, which didn't hurt him as badly at Martinsville as what it could have at some tracks, but did not get the finish uh, where he had been running. Um, well, I got to uh, tell you, I'm impressed. William... I'm impressed with how many cars actually finished um, the race even though they were laps down, because you're not used to doing that at Martinsville. There's usually quite a few cars out of the out of the race by the end. Well, and we talked about that, of the, the durability of this car. You don't get the fender rubs and tire um, cut-downs that we used to see when, when you had the uh, sheet metal fenders. 
the other thing from what I saw, and I, I don't know what played into this, um, if it was track conditions, the car itself, but the outside lane, the inside lane was obviously still preferred, but we saw that of drivers that could really hang on the outside and not lose ground as fast as they used to, I'll put it that way. Um, you generally still lost ground, but not as fast as you used to where you used to really get freight trendy. I mean, if you got bumped up and out of, up into that upper lane, uh, you went backwards and went a ways back in a hurry. You didn't see that as much. You saw some strong runs on the outside, at least maintaining their position. Absolutely. Uh, you want to go ahead and cover the uh, points report? All right. Swap over to that. Um uh, all points, things, and everything else settled at this point, I believe. Alex Bowman is your points leader still. Uh, he gets runs under the, what do you call it, uh, under the radar so much. He is actually your points leader at 263 points. Ross Jastain at 259 is four points back. Then he got a gap to our first uh, winner, actually. Why does it not show? Uh, are you looking at the right points report, Jay? Nope, I am not, because this only has seven races up. You're right. I just realized that because I was like, Christopher Bell has a victory. He's not looking at the same one I'm looking at. (laughs) Nope, this is last week's. They must not have a current. Jayski doesn't have a current one up. Well, uh, that's where I got it from. I got it from the uh, race page, the points report. Let me try and swap swap over there real quick. If you want to start with it, uh, I'll pick it up yeah, and get it loaded Bell here. Yeah, Christopher Bell is actually at the top of the points after nine races in. He does have the one race win. Uh, I'll do the top five, and then you can take over from there. Uh, right. Ross Castain is in second place. He's just five points back. Uh, then it's Kevin Harvick in third place now, 15 points back. Kyle Larson has the two race wins. He's in fourth place followed by Martin Truex Jr. in the uh, fifth spot. Uh, keep going, Sharon. I haven't been able to pull it up yet, and I don't know why it's okay. giving me Okay, Tyler Reddick is in sixth place, uh, Joy Logano seventh, and Kyle Busch in eighth. They all have one race win apiece. Uh, in uh, ninth place is Denny Hamlin, Ryan Blaney, Alex Bowman, and Brad Keselowski. Uh, for the top 12, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is 13th. He has the one race win. Chase Briscoe, I uh, thought he was going to have a race win this weekend. Uh, he's in 14th place. And William Byron, with two race wins, holds down that 15th spot with Chris Busher rounding out the top 16 here in the Cup Series. Uh, then it's Daniel Suarez, Michael McDowell, and Austin Sendrick. Ty Gibbs, the highest finishing rookie, rounding out the top 20 and those people that are on the bubble. Your thoughts? All right, I apologize. Yeah, I apologize there. I don't know why that one, it was actually two races back because the one I was looking at was a seven points, but um, quite the mixture. And I know we, we already were getting excited about that uh, cut line. Uh, you got Daniel Suarez, who has come close, had good runs. Uh, Michael McDowell, Austin Sindrick, all previous winners, Austin Dillon. Um, Chase Elliott, and I wanted, that's where I wanted to look at where he moved up to now. Right now, 31st in points. 
Um, again, his first race back, obviously that was a big storyline of the weekend there at Martinsville as he returned, got himself a top 10 finish. He only has three races in as well of the nine races run. And he got, uh, 17, do the math here real quick. Yeah. 17 races. I know Larry McReynolds on race. I've talked about it. And even in the event he didn't win, he may be able to work his way in if he continues on top 10 races. Uh, you know, Larry McReynolds always has his stats. I think he said he needed to gain seven points per race on that 16th spot, but that'll keep changing as well. So, And I'm sure they're not looking at that. They're looking to get a victory, and I think we'll see that. Uh, one thing, though, when we talked about it with him coming back at Martinsville, uh, you know, we talked obviously the leg injury and, and the breaking of it, uh, if you saw his post-race interviews, the heat and being in the car, you know, he said he's been sitting on the couch was his word, sitting on the couch for six weeks. That condition of just being in the car in the heat. Uh, we hadn't even really thought or talked about that, but just that uh, week in and week out training of being in that uh, atmosphere, um, I think took its toll on him. It does. It, it, you have to condition yourself to be able to uh, race under those conditions. And if you miss six races, uh, that's a lot to miss as far as your condition training. So, uh, you know, you got I, a lot of kudos for uh, Chase Elliott. I know Austin Sindrick said uh, uh, he had to be rehydrated a little bit, too, after the race uh, because it was so hot in those cars, and he didn't even miss the six races. So um, it was a hot day. And, uh, uh, again, that hydrating and conditioning yourself to race in those conditions is super important. Well, and as, as we lead into hot topics, I know it's not one for tonight, but it's one each and every week. Uh, when you get into discussions with other people as far as whether or not drivers are athletes, uh, that, that's always a hot topic when you get into that discussion. <laughs> yeah. And with that, yes, I believe we're at the top of the hour. <laughs> We are at the top of the hour. It's time for Hot Topics, but I do want to mention that the Cup Series is going to be racing out at uh, Talladega Super Speedway this weekend on Sunday. So uh, we'll, again, preview that race on Thursday. So joining us for our NASCAR Hot Topic conversation here tonight is Andy Lasky. Welcome to the show, Andy. Hey, how's it going? It's going good. Um, I've got my fingers crossed for Thursday night. Yeah, hoping for the best. Um, probably we'll know sometime around Thursday morning if that's possible or not, but we'll uh, certainly keep that one uh, open and hopeful that it'll work out. We'll see what happens. Okay, well, keep me posted, Andy. Um, we're ready for hot topics. We've been kind of alluding to it all night tonight. Uh, but I want you to pick out our first hot topic uh, conversation. Yeah, I want to talk about the the next-gen short track package. Obviously, there's been some changes that NASCAR has made to try to improve upon that, but we once again saw a race that struggled uh, this past weekend. So thoughts on that? Okay. Now, is that on the uh, board, Jay? Uh, I'm sorry, Andy. Uh, I thought I saw Mike make an allusion to it. Maybe it is or isn't. I'm not sure, but um, he, he posted about the rain package. Oh, did uh, he? Sharon, Sharon he put it up at about seven o'clock tonight. It, it's under the Clint Boyer tweet. Oh, under the Clint Boyer tweet. Okay, let me go up to that. 
Okay, yeah, Jay, why don't you go ahead and talk about that? All right, well, Mike Mike posted it. It says, Clint isn't mincing word. He's not wrong. It's nice to see him not just doing NASCAR's PR work for him. Uh, the tweet from Clint Blair is, first step is owning it. Our short track program sucks. This is Clint Boyer's tweet uh, I'm reading from word for word here. Unacceptable. I'm confident they'll find a solution. For now, the good news is that they're in the rear of your mirror for quite some time, really looking forward to the wild unpredictably unpredictability that is Talladega, uh, who's coming. Uh, so that was the tweet, and obviously uh, Mike's input on it above that. I... I'm not saying it can't be improved. I don't agree with Clint that it was that bad. We saw some great racing. We saw strategy come into play, which is a part of racing when it comes to at the NASCAR's top level. Um, so I, I don't fully agree with it. Like I said, I'm not saying that improvements can't be made. Uh, the Cup Series, as I said, uh, the Xfinity, in my opinion, the Xfinity Series was the overall most competitive. But again, throughout you saw hard racing throughout the field. And I think of Bubba Wallace. When Denny Hamlin came to lap him, uh, I didn't see how the actual pass happened, but Bubba Wallace, after he went lap down, was bumping Denny Hamlin, pushing and shoving his boss, the race leader, because he was a car being a lap down, but was still that competitive. And I mentioned it earlier, it really looked like cars could run on the outside lane a lot better and stronger than they used to be able to in the past. Um, I don't know if it's the mixture of the package, the tires we didn't see, as we, we talked about in the uh, review, the tire fall off where the tires was the necessity. Joey Logano got second by not having any new tires on. Kyle Larson got the victory with uh, only taking two. two tires. But the four tires was coming with Martin Truex and uh, Chase Elliott being the fastest two on the track. So that's all part of racing. I. I don't know. I, I know I'm one that I, I always try to look at the positive versus the negative. So it's not that I'm saying it's not there. We shouldn't talk about it in ways it can be improved. But I don't particularly like Clint Boyer's take on it of he's going all at the negative and not looking at the positives, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, it, it's another one of those things. It depends on who you talk to. Um, I know I, I listened to Godfather Moody this afternoon, and, and the callers calling in uh, all had positive things to say about the racing. They thought it was great. Uh, some of them were at the track. Some of them weren't at the track. Um, and they thought the racing was fantastic, uh, some of the best racing they'd seen at Martinsville. Um, so it, the one thing that Godfather Moody did kind of point out is that um, drivers always want more horsepower. I, I think what the problem is, and it's not really a problem. I, I, I didn't want to use that word by saying this. I think what fans are seeing is the parity that the Gen 7 car brings to the table. And a lot of these drivers that are used to having a better car than the backmarkers aren't liking it. They want to be able to pass those backmarkers, and they're frustrated that they can't do it because these guys now have a car that's just as good as the car that these top drivers have. Um, 
And and that's what is frustrating some of these top drivers that are complaining about the package. Um, and Godfather Moody said, if you ask a driver at any point in our history what they want more of out of their car, it's horsepower. <laughs> and that is something that drivers have wanted for eons. So it, this is no different. A lot of these drivers are wanting to be able to pass these cars. Some of them are challenged in being able to pass, but not all of them are having trouble passing these cars. We saw drivers pass cars and work their way up through the field. Uh, Kyle Larson was doing it. Um, and, and admittedly, Kyle Larson has said that this track has been a challenge of his for quite some time. Um, but he was able to overcome that. And Jay's right. Pitt's strategy played a big, big part in this race. Uh, and uh, we talked about it earlier. It, you didn't know who was going to win this race until the very end of the race because any number of drivers could have won this race at any given point throughout the race. I thought it was fantastic. I enjoyed watching it. Um so I, I, I'm scratching my head a little bit as to what people didn't like uh, because I thought that there was some passing. Uh, Martinsville, there's always frustration between the drivers and the bumping and banging that goes on. Um, but I really think what we're seeing and what drivers are, are frustrated about is the parity that the Gen 7 car has brought to the racetrack. And and that's what NASCAR was aiming for, is that parity, so that we don't know who's going to win the race. They were bringing up how, uh, you know, there was a time when you'd only have five cars on the lead lap at the finish of a Martinsville race, and everybody else was finishing, you know, multiple laps down. Uh, it's not like that anymore. We've got... Uh, we've got 36 drivers on the track that are all capable of winning that race. So I, I think it's fantastic. But, Andy, I am curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I certainly see what both of you are saying for sure. And I I tend to fall somewhere in the middle because I certainly agree with some of your points. Um, but I I would say, you know, and I, I think the parity part really is you nailed, nailed it, Sharon. I think that's that's probably the biggest issue. Um, and it's not really an issue, I guess. Parity is a good thing, right? We want to see multiple teams and drivers be competitive on a weekly basis. But I do think that that probably does tie into some of these, you know, issues of drivers not being able to pass and make their way back up through the field. I'll use Ryan Priest as an example. The pole sitter yesterday led over a quarter of the race and was in position to probably contend for his first career win, if not for a speeding penalty. He only made his way back up to 15th, and even that in itself was a pretty big feat. And it took him, you know, 300 laps really to make his way from wherever he restarted back up to 15th. So track position reigned supreme yesterday, 100%. Um, I'll use the winner, Kyle Larson, as an example he really wasn't in position to win the race until they stayed out. So to Jay's point, pit strategy um, certainly played a role there. And pit, I love pit strategy. I think that it, it definitely enhances the race on a given weekend because you never know who's going to make the right call. Cliff Daniels made the right call to not pit. 
They took two tires to gain track position that put them in position for the win. Joey Logano was a non-factor all day. He took no tires on the last caution. He gets up to, you know, the lead, and he runs second. Uh, Chase Briscoe even said on the on the radio when the last – because he was going to win that race most likely had the caution not come out. Um, so the caution came out, and they talked about it on the on the radio – about what to do, and at the very last second, Johnny called him in to pit. They took four tires, and I didn't disagree with the call at the time because I thought tires would have meant something, but they struggled to get back to fifth place. They they weren't able to make it up and, and contend for the win. So I think definitely, I don't know if it's, it's the tires or the car or what, but certainly – Track position meant a lot yesterday, and I think where the frustration lies for some of these drivers is, you know, that we we don't have a current package. Maybe it's a combination of the car and the tire or both. I think probably both. We don't have a current package, it seems like, at least at Martinsville, that allows for easier passing. But I think, Sharon, you bring up a really, really good point in my mind. These cars have never been closer than they are today. Um, you know, even just a few short years ago, there was a huge disparity between the top teams, the mid-teams, and the lower-tier teams with less funding. That's not so much the case nowadays. It's all spec parts and spec cars, which brings everybody a lot closer. Therefore, it, in theory, that's going to make it a lot more difficult to pass. So until they can figure out a way to make the passing easier, then I think that we're going to see races like this, but you know, I, I didn't, I didn't think it was a bad race. I enjoyed it. I think that, you know, pit strategy is always fun. I, I certainly embrace that. And, you know, we did see, you know, varying strategies play out and ultimately Kyle Larson's team did the best job of capitalizing and won the race. Um, But I, I do think that passing is a bit of an issue right now. And I think that if they can make the cars, a bit more difficult to drive, then maybe that puts it even more so in the driver's hands and maybe that'll fix it, whether that's horsepower or if it's just is car design or what. But it's not – it should be noted that it's not from a lack of effort on NASCAR's part for trying. They completely tweaked the short track package going into Phoenix to try to make it better, and I'm sure – that it's going to take some more evolution to get it better. Um, so I, this is definitely not from a lack of effort by any means. And again, the race wasn't bad yesterday, but I, I definitely took away that, that track position really made a huge difference. And, um, you know, certainly I think there is room for improvement. Okay, Jay. Wow. I so many things that, that went through my mind there of, I'm in the same boat. Uh, you know, Sharon, you said it was fantastic. I don't know if I would use that word. As I said, I thought the Xfinity Series race was the most competitive of the ones throughout the weekend. But I disagree with the whole you can't pass. And I wish I had the uh, positions from Martin Truex and Chase Elliott in the same gap of closing laps. Uh, Truex, I know, had to have picked up a five, six, seven spots. And had that race been another few laps, they actually predicted that they thought he could make that he could get to at least Joey Logano and get by him and get second. Um, I think he uh, it took him a little longer to get around Denny Hamlin um, to have that. 
So another few laps, and that would have changed. And that's part of racing, you know, when the caution comes out. You talked about the callers uh, calling into Dave Moody, and I know I've heard this conversation in the past. Oh, we liked racing back in the, back in the day. Uh, you know, it was better back in the day. Okay, did you enjoy seeing somebody win by five laps? No, you wanted to see competition, you know, close competition. You have that now. You're still not happy. So what is it you want? I mean, and, you know, and you all know that that's my frustration is, and especially coming from a, working with a track um, on many different levels, you can't ever make people happy. Uh, it just seems like that, you know, you fix what they wanted to see here and they're not happy with it or they find the next thing to actually complain about. Um, I'm with Andy. I enjoyed it. Could it be improved upon? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying don't change anything. It's perfect the way it is. But it's not that bad. And I, and that's where I don't like, particularly like uh, Clint Boyer's uh, quote in his tweet. I, I don't see it as that bad or dire. Yes, it can be improved upon. How about we look at how we can help improve it instead of talking about how bad you think it is? <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with your comment as well, Jay, that uh, this Gen 7 car is an evolution. But I think NASCAR has to be careful about listening uh, to these kind of comments from uh, Clint Boyer, but also from the drivers. The drivers want more horsepower, and Denny Hamlin made a plea on his podcast for more horsepower. Um, they're not, I, I think that would might be a mistake to give them more horsepower. Uh, I think, again, uh, a lot of the frustration for a lot of these drivers, and Clint Boyer has the driver mentality um, about the passing, and I'm sure he's got a lot of drivers in his ear about that. Um, their mentality is they want whatever is going to give them a competitive advantage to be able to pass all the other drivers on the track, and they're never going to get that. That's They're asking for a perfect world, and NASCAR is never going to give them a perfect world uh, for each individual driver. Um, we all said, including the drivers, uh, especially those drivers that didn't have the parity before, we wanted parity, and that's what this is. This is parity, and and I think it did give us a good race. Um, it, it's never going to be perfect, and I know that. Uh, there's always room for improvement, and and I hope that they do make improvements. But I don't hope. That, I, I hope they don't make it a knee jerk reaction to what the drivers are saying right now, because I think that's more frustration than anything else. Because we did see drivers that were able to pass. Um, uh, we did see uh, two tires work for a driver in order to win that race. Which when was the last time we saw that at Martinsville? Speedway. Um, I, I loved the pit strategy plays that were going on throughout the race. Uh, I was excited when Chase Briscoe was at the front, and I thought he was going to end up winning the race. Uh, Kevin Harvick was at the front. I thought he was going to end up winning the race. Uh, then it was somebody else. Joey Logano was at the front, and we thought he was going to win the race. How many times um, have we have we seen? so many different drivers that were able to get to the front 
and be able to contend for that win um, at a track like Talladega. And and keep in mind, too, that parity and the durability of these cars have kept more cars on the track for a longer period of time as well. So, again, these drivers aren't used to that. They're used to having the the fallout of cars throughout the race, and uh, they're not seeing it anymore because of the durability of the Gen 7 car. I think that the, uh, the drivers have to understand that they're going through an evolution as well uh, with the durability of this car and with the parity of the car, and they're going to have to get used to racing every driver on the track And I brought this up uh, last week, and I I think it's worth mentioning now. Years ago, uh, when Bill France Jr. uh, was approached by a driver saying that they were frustrated by having to drive uh, drive past all the bench markers, uh, you know, all the markers at the back of the track, um, Bill France Jr.'s comment was, that's what fans come to watch. That's what they want to see. They want to see you use your skill to get around those drivers and and get, get up there and contend for a win. So that's your job. That's their job. Their job is to be there and and be part of that racing experience. Um, so I, I don't think – I think that, that, that the next-gen car has brought us what we asked of it. I think that this package gave us what we asked of it. And I I, I um, think that we have to realize that it's not the same racing that we saw years ago, and nor do we want it to be the same racing that we saw years ago because we complained about that racing as well. So um, I would rather see the driver's uh, work on what they need to work on uh, in order to do what some of the drivers on the track are obviously doing. They're passing the cars. Uh, they have to work at it harder maybe, but they are passing cars. And and they have to just put their nose to the grindstone and figure out how to get around these cars, whether it's pit strategy or just being patient and letting the race come to them, uh, which is what a lot of drivers have to do at Martinsville. Andy? Yeah, you know, I I kind of look back and I think about, you know, when have NASCAR fans ever been happy overall? And I, <laughs> I'm not sure I can remember when that was because when I first started watching in the early 2000s, everyone back then used to say how the good old days of the 70s and 80s were awesome and racing's not the same anymore and whatnot. And now... You know, 20-something years later, all I hear about is how great the Winston Cup Series was back in the early 2000s, and I'm left to scratch my head and say, wait a minute. Well, back then, everyone said the 70s and 80s were better. So I I guess the point is that, you know, there. I guess we'll probably all look back one day and, you know, 10, 15 years from now, and everyone will, you know, look at the next-gen era as, you know, oh, that was a great era for racing and whatnot. But I, seemingly in the moment, you know, people just look for reasons to, to complain about things. And, you know, to Jay's point, I, I'm not sure where, where we need to be by any means, but, you know, this car is only a little over a year in from its inception, which means there's still a lot to learn and there's still a ways to go. And, um, you know, I definitely think that, you know, they can continue to work on and improve things. 
For sure. But I, I look back, I, I even look back just a few years ago when we had the whole high down, the high downforce 550 package for the previous car and everyone hated that, you know, and so, <laughs> but then we also had, you know, the high, the, the high horsepower, low downforce stuff and everyone hated that. So I really don't know if, if NASCAR fans in general like anything, to be honest, but, you know, I, you try to, I guess the point is you try to look at these races each week and you try to, you know, try to enjoy them for what they are. Nothing says that we're required to watch these races. We do it because we choose to. So, you know, I, I for one enjoy short tracks and, you know, I think that the rules that they changed this year for the short tracks ultimately were a step in the right direction. I think that there's a ways to go, but, um, you know, yesterday's race wasn't terrible. I didn't think by any means. And, you know, hopefully we, see some more tweaks to make it even better as time goes on. Okay. Um, Jay, uh, you want to bring up the next hot topic? Well, sure. I already did. Uh, I think at least once tonight, NASCAR (laughs) made history on Friday night with a wet weather tire. And I'm going to give somebody else the opportunity to uh, represent Mike on this one. You know, I wish I could say that I agree with Mike on this one, but I, I'm not sure that I do. Um, I, I could see some of his points. We talked a little bit. I didn't watch the truck race live, so we didn't have our normal race day chat like we normally would. But I I like the idea of the wet weather tires, and I think that, you know, I, I can – you know, I don't. I don't know if you guys want to read his points or not. I don't have them up right now. But my own opinion on this was, I, I like the idea of the wet weather tires. I I think that there is still some learning to do as far as when to use them, when not to use them. I thought that having watched the truck broadcast, there was a point or two during the race, during wet conditions, when I was a bit perplexed when they were running around under yellow versus racing. But I think that because this is so new, they're still learning to do as far as when to use them, when to not use them. But the start of the race was a was the perfect example of why they were created in the first place. And it should be noted that these tires are simply wet condition tires, not rain tires. The goal isn't to race in a monsoon. The goal is to race when the track is wet. And that's precisely how they started the truck race. It was damp from previous rain, and, and they ran the first however many laps on the rain tires or the wet weather tires, I should say, until the track got dry. That's the whole point of them, and it saves some time. Um, and so I think that, you know, that may have made a bit of a difference in terms of the race getting past the, the, the halfway point or the end of stage two. The race in itself was rain-shortened due to inclement weather, and had they not started when they did, it's possible that it would have been postponed to a different day. So the whole point is, you know, with these wet weather tires is to try to at least get some racing in, if at all possible, and that's exactly what they did. That being said, I I did see some points of confusion in in my mind, you know, during the the race when they were just kind of running around under yellow for a, a large number of laps, and that I didn't quite understand um, I, I don't know why that was. If it was, you know, the the NASCAR not wanting to to turn them loose or whatever the case may be, 
but again, you know, this is the first time this was used. It was very much a historic event. And so I think that, you know, there may have to be some discussions about when is the exact proper time to use these tires because later in the race, it was misting out, I think. And, you know, there was some light rain and they didn't run then either. So um, I, I wasn't sure that I fully understood that, but, you know, again, kudos to NASCAR for developing this package. I love the idea of it. I think that it is a difference maker as far as being able to, to get races at least started or, or, you know, possibly in during their scheduled time versus being postponed until a different day. And so uh, I, I truly do applaud the effort and uh, I think it, it's a good idea. So, um, you know, can they learn more about it for sure? Yes. I, but I think that the whole point of those tires was exactly what they did to start the truck race on Friday night. And, you know, I, I really don't think it's a bad thing at all. Yeah, um, it's never going to be a perfect world. <laughs> and I think that's the premise we have to to start with. Um, I think a lot of times we expect a perfect world, and it's just not going to happen. But these wet tires did exactly what they were designed to do. Um, they were never intended, as Mike, as Jay brought up, I'm sorry, Andy brought up, they were never really intended uh, to be raced under race conditions in this particular case. Let me go ahead and make my announcement real quick before I run out of time. Uh, For our first-time listeners, we are going to be going off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And just know that we are going to, even though you're not going to hear us on air, we are recording the rest of our conversation. And so it will be available as part of our bonus overtime material on our podcast. So if you're a first-time listener, we like to make the announcement at this time of the night so that you know what to expect here. Uh, just know that I will, when we finish, I will go out on uh, social media, Twitter and Facebook, to let you know that the podcast is available. And then you can do it right away or at your convenience. Go back to the player at fanforracing.com and just fast forward to the two-hour mark, and you can hear the rest of the conversation. Uh, again, we make the announcement so that everybody, uh, nobody is caught off guard and you know what to expect when we go off air. Okay, getting back to the wet weather, weather tires. Um, I don't think they were ever intended to be raced on in, uh, like you say, monsoon weather rain. Um, and think about it, too, from a perspective. We, we wanted NASCAR to think outside of the box with regard to how do we avoid these rain delays. And this is what thinking out of the box looks like. Um, and and uh, they came up with this idea of the wet weather tires uh, so that the trucks could get out there on the track in those damp conditions and help dry the track. Um, and, and that's exactly what they were able to do. Once NASCAR felt that they could switch over to the slick tires, they called a competition caution, and they switched over to their slicks uh, for the race part of the event. Um, but think about the cost of bringing um, the Jet Titans or whatever we call those now. Um, that's, that's expensive to bring those to the racetrack, and it's expensive to reschedule these races when we can't get the race in because it takes those jet tire jet um, what are they called jet something um, yeah jet uh, dryers. the jet dryers 
the jet dryers. Uh, to get those jet dryers to dry the track, it takes them a lot longer to do it than putting the cars out there on the racetrack and and helping to dry up that racetrack. So at least we get the cars on the racetrack. We do get laps in. Um, they are racing one another, even though they're, um, uh, you know, uh, under wet conditions. Uh, they've got the lights on there. I, I, I think it served the purpose that they intended to serve, and, and that's the main thing here. Can it be improved upon? Yeah, that somebody's going to come up with another out-of-the-box idea, and, and they're going to find a way to improve on it. Uh, is it ideal? Probably not. But um, I do think that, again, NASCAR is continually evolving, and I do think that for the situation, the wet tires did exactly what they were designed to do. Jay? Well, I gave you all the, all the opportunity. I guess, I, well, now I lost it. I was going to read Mike, so I, I'll circle back to him. Oh, but, yeah, we've neither um, one of us read it, did we? <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry. The, uh, the one thing uh, that confused me, and I, I believe it was Kyle Busch, uh, if I'm mistaken, I apologize, but he said he didn't understand why NASCAR didn't run them when it was raining. They weren't designed as a rain tire, not on the oval track. Um, road courses are a little bit different. But we also saw that at Coda the first year, and we've seen it, I think it was back as far as Montreal. Uh, and Sharon, it's almost like a repeat of the previous conversation. Give it time. This is taking it step by step to make sure it's working and they're going in the right direction. Um, mm-hmm. The purpose was to be able to get started a little bit quicker. Uh, during that race, I think Andy mentioned it, I think it was because, as he said, misting and raining. They wanted the rain to stop, evaluate the track, whether it was puddled or not, or whether it was just damp, and they needed to do a few laps with the jet dryers or if the cars themselves, in this case the trucks, um, were were ready to go back out. Um, Toward At the end of the race, and this is when Kyle Busch made his comment of why they didn't put them back on and go back to racing, because NASCAR wants to complete the race if at all possible they knew it had stopped raining maybe the track was ready to have them go out there on this wet or damp weather tire but there was another shower coming and that's what they were looking at and they made the call that with that coming it's going to be raining again losing the track to call it official but the biggest thing Andy mentioned it was they were even able to have it official and call it a complete race and allow the fans to see that as a far as a finish versus postponing it or uh, anything yeah. else um, in that time window. So I thought it, it was great. It did do what they, they – I felt like it did do what they wanted um, as far as that. Why Kyle Bush? and this is where I had got confused. I'm like, if I understand what's going on, I don't understand how you as a driver and a team owner did not. Uh, <laughs> you know, I got the memo. Why didn't you? Yeah, that's that is confusing, Andy. Yeah, no, I that's exactly right. You know, this when they came out and announced these tires, it was, you know, always intended to be wet weather tires, not rain tires. I I think that the whole point was to try to get races going sooner than previously um, done in the past. I'll use um, my home track 
Loudon, New Hampshire is an example. They don't have lights. And so if it rains this summer, you know, as it typically does on a, on a July afternoon and they have showers go through, they can get back to racing quicker than they would having to wait to get it fully dry. That's the whole point. And I think that was probably a bit of a difference maker in the truck race getting at least to a completion point versus having to be run on a completely different day, which helps save teams money. I mean, you know, you think about the hotels, uh, the hotel costs and and the cost of running a race on another day, it it does add to the expenses for, for everyone involved there. So um, whether it be the the teams or the drivers or the fans or whoever. So ultimately I feel like it's, it's a, it's a really good thing that they've done. I was excited about it when they announced it. Um, you know, it was kind of cool to see it come to fruition on Friday night. And, you know, I hope that it's not something they have to use all the time by any means, but if it means getting, you know, race vehicles on track sooner, that's, that's awesome. That's what it's all about. Uh, yeah, I agree. I don't really have anything to add. I think we pretty much covered it. And, um, Again, I, I did post a uh, video um, from NASCAR's Elton Sawyer, who said that, that NASCAR was pleased with the way the wet tires worked for the truck series on Friday night out at Martinsville. So um, that's out on Twitter if you want to look on Bob Pockress's, um, uh timeline for those of you that are listening. Uh, but, yeah, NASCAR themselves were pleased uh, with what they felt the wet tires did and uh, that they they serve their purpose. So not much to add there. Jay? <laughs> all right. I'll be Mike and then argue with Mike all by myself. Do you myself. want me to be Mike? Uh, Do you want me? No. I'll be Mike. <laughs> Let me go back and read Mike. Okay. Mike's opinions on the new race package. Um, he feels it's a gimmick and a waste of time, and especially for the truck series where it matters, a waste of money. The value added is negligible. Uh, um, Jay brought up that uh, race wouldn't have been halfway last night if they hadn't kept the fans from sitting in the rain any longer than they have to. Mike felt that was debatable. The amount of pre-green pace laps they did wasted close to 30 minutes, another 30 minutes with the Titaner jet tires probably would have had the dry, track completely dry, and I kind of disagree with that, but that's what he said. The only upshot I see is an unintended consequence, which is the massive tire fall off on the wets racing on the dry track. Uh, maybe as NASCAR gets more confidence in the package, they'll be willing to go green on a wetter surface, but I don't think the rain package saved any time last night. And, again, I think we all just kind of disagree with that. But, um, anyway, uh, he sticks with his opinion. He feels it's a gimmick with little or no actual added value, at least not last night. Uh, so, Jay, now you can give us your thoughts. <laughs> all right, Mike, listen up. Whichever one of you is listening. No. Um, I, I do. I, I completely disagree with that. Uh, you don't think it added value or was any benefit? Ask those fans sitting in the stands. Uh, I'll tell you that. I, I've been there. I've gone through that. Um, the cost issue, okay, if NASCAR is out, out there with the jet dryers, I'd have to guess with the, the fuel and everything else, that's probably a bigger cost than what the teams are yeah. for the tires uh, um, to have prepared and run. Um 
and I, I went through this. Uh, that is one of the things he did. I will give him that of the, where did he put it? The massive tire fall off as the track dries out and you still have the wets on. Uh, we've seen that on road coursing. I got to see it firsthand at Road America. Uh, that's a huge thing, and I think we saw it a little bit at, I want to say it was at Coda. Uh, again, that's on a road course, though. You're talking a little bit different. This is on an oval track, which I think NASCAR did the prudent thing in not taking too big a step too quick because then we have something like we had at Coda where the car in front of you slowed down and two or three piled in because they just absolutely could not see. And I know Kevin Harvick was not a fan of the rain flaps, but I think there too, I think there was a purpose in it. Uh, it might not be the ideal solution in fixed action at this point, but it did fix a problem, give them time to develop something better um, and take that next step when they're ready and have things prepared. Uh, this is another one. I feel like I said, I'm almost going to repeat myself from the previous conversation of fans want to see it. Oh, race them in the rain. Big wreck. Their favorite driver crashes, gets hurt. Somebody's out with a concussion. Oh, NASCAR made a bad call. They shouldn't run the race. Now, wait a minute. What do you want? I, I just, I get really frustrated with that um, on many levels. I think this is one where they did the right thing, took a, a step, and it was a good step, and I think it did serve its purpose. As Elton Sawyer said, they were pleased with the way it went. The initial part of the racing with them on when it was under wet and damp conditions, drivers seemed to be in favor of it. They said it was a little bit different as far as the grip. Um, you couldn't race as hard. Everybody was, again, feeling it out, being a little more cautious. But there was still some passing and racing versus sitting and doing nothing watching track drivers dry the track. So uh, that's where I think there is a huge benefit, and it's not just a gimmick. I agree. Okay, Andy, you get to bring up the next hot topic. Yeah, something interesting I saw that you posted today was regarding Kurt Busch recently attending a MotoGP race and his potential interest maybe in motorcycle racing thoughts. Okay. Um, Shane. Uh, it would definitely be interesting. I, I didn't even know he was um... – spending time around around that. Uh, I just hope that whatever he does, uh, this is a case of, of having what he's been through. Uh, unfortunately, one of those of maybe having to step away when it wasn't his time or decision to at that point. Um, being healthy and, and whatever he finds to do in whatever situation he's in. Uh, I know just recently talked a little bit about Casey Kane. He actually raced here locally um, got to hear an interview with him of being still being able to do something involved in racing. So whatever he finds to do, I just hope he's in a good good position health-wise to be able to do that. And I know he was approaching the end of his NASCAR Cup Series career anyway, but he still had some things like Jimmy Johnson maybe to check off a bucket list. And if this is one of them, uh, I hope he does. Uh, again, if he's in the situation where he can. Um, I know he's really stepped into, I think, a, a team manager or advisor role there still with 2311, and we may see him in a car. I don't know. We haven't had any updates on that of a third team for 2311. But he's certainly been a part of that team um, with Tyler Reddick and Bubba Wallace. So uh, I just hope for his health that, that he finds that 
peace with that and whatever he does. Yes, indeed. Now, I, I, I should note that there's no explanation given for why he is there. So uh, the only thing we can do at this point is speculate. Uh, he could have been there for any number of reasons. Maybe they're looking at MotoGP and what they do in MotoGP. <laughs> uh, is that motorcycle racing? I just want to ask. Yeah, it is yes. motorcycle racing. Okay, that's what I was thinking. Uh, I don't think there's a whole lot that can transfer over from motorcycle racing to uh, NASCAR racing, but maybe he was there, you know, supporting a friend that he has that's a part of that team. Uh, maybe somebody on the team invited him there, uh, you know, to be there as a support person. Who knows? <laughs> it could be for any number of reasons that uh, Kurt Busch was there. I, I think it's great. Uh, to see him there, I like to see him, you know, doing other things besides NASCAR. Um, uh, maybe, maybe he is looking to do something different. Uh, uh, I, I would think with his condition and with the, con- um, um, you know, with the uh, head injury and and uh, the concussion, uh, if he's not able to race in a NASCAR uh, car. Why would he be able to race on a motorcycle? That doesn't make sense to me. But um, there could be any number of reasons for why he's there. But I think it's great uh, to see him um, uh, reaching out to other motorsports venues. And and I think he's a huge fan of Coda, by the way. I know I was in Texas one time when he came down there just to test um, the uh, NASCAR uh, at that track when they were first considering doing racing at Coda. And uh, so he's had a relationship uh, with that track. And so uh, 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 I just think there's any number of reasons that he could have been there. Uh, but I thought it was interesting uh, and uh, thought I would post it on our on our uh, Hot Topic page. Andy? Yeah, no, it is interesting, and I think – you know, my mind is is that it, it. I think he's just able to to have the time to go and enjoy other racing disciplines. Um, back in early March, I was actually down in Daytona and went to an American flat track race, which is dirt track racing for motorcycles, which was pretty cool. And, and Kurt was actually there. We we saw him mm-hmm. walking around the pits and and talking to uh, at least one of the teams he was hanging out with. And ultimately, he was the grand marshal that night. So I think, honestly, he's just a fan of motorcycle racing. And his unfortunate sideline from full-time Cup Series competition has perhaps allowed him to go and enjoy other disciplines of racing. Um, You know, so will we see him race motorcycles? I'm not so sure about that, but I think what his current – schedule has allowed him to do is to be able to go and enjoy these events and and i think that's pretty cool and it's good to see him out and about we didn't approach him or anything but we did see him you know and it was cool to see him out there and and enjoying the racing that night it was a a nice night for that so um you know hate the fact that he got taken out of a cup car prematurely in my mind i felt like he had at least another year or two you know to, to finish his career out the right way so highly unfortunate you know, that he, you know, went through what he did, but it is nice to see him at the racetrack and certainly nice to see him out and, and uh, enjoying different disciplines of racing and, you know, probably fun to, to get different perspectives when he does that. Okay, Jay. 
Yeah, I, I think a big thing is is just as a representative. I don't I don't know if it ties into Monster. Uh, based on the picture, he had his Monster gear on. Um, mm-hmm. I think he is one that uh, does represent a sponsor well. Um, so that might have been it. Um, again, just be, like you said, uh, of being out and about, making connections, and staying involved in the racing community, um, I think is, is huge. And I really do hope to see that we do get to see him uh, back on the track in the NASCAR series. If not, uh, Sharon, I had the same thought as you. Of, uh, if, he, if he can't be in the, in the car on four wheels in a contained box, uh, you know, motorcycle <laughs> racing is a whole different world. Um, I had that same thought, but, um, again, this was just a picture that was put up and the question asked. So it would be kind of interesting to think about. I don't know that I've heard any of them talk about going back to two wheels or uh, that, but um, see what he does. Again, like I said, I just his health and um, biggest concern, and then for him to be able to do whatever he chooses to do next in this stage in his life. Absolutely, and and I think he's certainly earned that opportunity to have time to pursue, uh, you know, another venue of racing that interests him. Uh, and, uh, be, you know, getting to interact with the American Moto2 team. Um, I, I do think that he is an absolute asset at uh, Trackhouse Racing and uh, playing the role that he plays there at Trackhouse. I hope that uh, he doesn't leave anytime soon. Uh, I, I hope Kurt Busch stays a long while there and uh, uh, helps as in the mentoring role that he has with Trackhouse Racing because uh, I think he's been a, a positive influence there. Andy? Yeah, I think that, you know, he does have a unique role for sure at Track. I'm sorry, uh, 2311 Racing, um, you know, as a mentor role for both Bubba Wallace and Tyler Reddick, you know, and it, it's cool to see his, um, continued involvement with not only the team, but also uh, on, on race broadcasts. We saw him, in my mind, bring a really good experience to the booth at Circuit of the Americas a few weeks ago, and I really hope that we'll see him again uh, on a Fox broadcast before the season's out. He uh, really presents himself well. Uh, his, his, obvi- his, his racing knowledge is obvious every time he does come, and and uh, joins a broadcast. And so it, it's nice to see his continued involvement. Um, the one thing you don't want to see is when a driver has to step away that they just fade into oblivion. So thankfully we, you know, through his involvement with, with monster energy and 2311 racing, um, you know, and, and his occasional broadcast, we're, we're still able to see Kurt and that's a good thing. And, and hopefully we see him run some races. I think it'd be a lot of fun for him to, to maybe run, some marquee events, you know, in the coming years, and, and certainly nice to nice to see Kurt around for sure. All right, uh, Jay, uh, you got a quick one there. Well, I know it was just a uh, thought, I guess, by Pete Pistone. Uh, when NASCAR drivers want to get paid <laughs> for interviews. And it was based off of some things I didn't know about other sports. Uh, kind of blows my mind, actually. Um, with, let's see, it's Major League Baseball and the Players Association are paying players $10,000 for in-game interviews on their broadcast. Um, and his reply was, wait till NASCAR drivers 
get a load of this. <laughs> okay, Andy, your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that'll be the next um, the next um, desire by by some of those in the NASCAR garage. Um, I'm not sure it's feasible by any means. I think that there's bigger issues to worry about than getting paid for an interview. But you know, we certainly enjoy the access that we get as race fans to to driver interviews. I feel like NASCAR or motorsports drivers in general seem to be more accessible for interviews than, um, you know, other sports. And so I certainly hope that uh, getting paid for these interviews doesn't become a thing because making them more available would be, um, you know, it could be more difficult if, if, you know, they're required to make money every time they talk to a camera. So I don't know. It's, kind of a silly concept in my mind. I, I don't know that it's really a good thing. And I, I think that uh, if money's going to be allocated, there's probably better uses for it than spending, what was it you said, 10000 for an interview to do in-game interviews? That, that's crazy. I can't imagine that being feasible. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree, Andy. I, I really don't see that happening with NASCAR drivers. First of all, uh, I always think Hetty for the attitude of interaction with the fans uh, and the culture that he's cultivated uh, within NASCAR of being accessible to fans. Now, they're not 100% accessible to fans, which is understandable. Sometimes they do have obligations that they need to take care of, and they can't stop and, and sign every autograph. Uh, I know every once in a while you get uh, fans that are frustrated by that. But um, NASCAR drivers, uh, I think it's part of our culture to be accessible to the fans. And um, even even organizations like ours, um, being able to uh, interview uh, different drivers, I think it's, it's part of uh, the culture within NASCAR. I don't see... Uh, the drivers uh, coming up with that. Now, I know that there's um, a dispute over the TV rights packages that are being negotiated right now, but that is something that I think is far different than what they're talking about here in the uh, Major League Baseball uh, as far as paying players for in-game interviews on broadcast. Um I don't see that happening within NASCAR. Uh, I really think that that, uh, and I thank Richard Petty for it all the time. Uh, that uh, he he created a culture. Uh, Cal Petty talks all the time about being a kid, and fans would show up at their door during dinner time, and he would go out and spend time with those fans uh, during their family dinner. Uh, in order to uh, be accessible to the fans. That's probably an extreme view, uh, but um, I know that uh, the drivers on a whole are very accessible to the fans in NASCAR. And and for interviews on the broadcast booth and even organizations like ours. Jay? Yeah, you you mentioned it. Richard Petty set the standard, uh, and that's one of those of a, a highly above and beyond. Uh, I know in this day and age, I, I don't think we see that anymore. But as Andy pointed out, our sport is already one of the most accessible when it comes to that, and I don't see that changing. Um, 
uh, Christian Rose in our interview earlier tonight talked about it of having his new baby taking it to taking him to the race shop and there being a babysitter daycare there that it's a family sport and a team and these drivers know that they would like to be able to spend more time with them um, but with sponsor obligations and other things they just don't have that but uh, and I think during and I want to say it was during the truck race and and I experienced this firsthand of you have to understand their mindset and where they're at. When I when I was uh, with my son, we got Kevin Harvick. It was back in the day. The Cup Series was racing at Martinsville. The Trucker Xfinity, I don't remember which it was, was at Martinsville. Harvick flew in, had to get to the driver's meeting intros and everything. Caught him as he was rushing to do that. Um, yeah, it seemed a little rude at the time, but take a, take a step back and look at it from the outside. He also had to get to where he was going. So, yeah, he got the notebook, signed it, and handed it backwards. Uh, didn't look at me or Dalton at the time. Um, I saw it on Friday night. Uh, under the rain delay, they had called the drivers back to the truck. Kyle Busch walking back to get in the truck, go back racing, and he was – he didn't stop. Uh, you know, he doesn't have the time to stop, but as he was walking, had signed, I think, two or three, uh, several autographs as he was going, you know. Again, we're, you're not going to see that from another sport um, by any means. And, and I just see the culture of racing as a family culture. I don't see that changing. I really don't. Um, I understand that, you know, looking at, especially when it comes to the TV rights, the money to the teams, that's to keep them in business. I understand them fighting about that a little bit. I don't think we'll see that here when it comes to paid interviews uh perspective uh when i first read that my first thought was that is just absolutely ridiculous in my mind okay uh can we leave it at just the one round or do you do we need another round do you have a follow-up andy no i think i'm good yeah i'm yeah, good, I'm good. Uh, like i said i think it's just ridiculous and we'll leave it at that <laughs> Okay, Andy, let's uh, start our round table or our triangle. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. It is a triangle tonight. Um, <laughs> TV14 fan on Twitter, as always, it's uh, fun to be a part of the broadcast, uh, usually most thir- uh, Mondays and Thursdays, and I'm uh, looking forward to hopefully doing that full show Thursday night, keeping my fingers and toes crossed on that one, and uh, if so, looking forward to it. Okay, Jay. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, Mopar MJ8 on Twitter and Instagram, and uh, I hope so too, there, Andy, as you as you're filling in for me in a, my normal slot, uh, as hopefully weather permitting, uh, be at Jackson Motor Speedway on a Thursday night for some uh, ASCS sprint car action. So we talk a lot about that in our short track preview. Uh, got those sprint cars coming to uh, your Capital City Raceway. Yes, and I believe this was a uh, rain uh, postponement, right? Uh, yes, it was already due to a postponement uh, weekend. Uh, like I said, that's why I said weather permitting. We'll, we'll, dirt <laughs> tracks, dirt tracks, and sprint cars. Uh, wet weather tires, not even a possibility of an option. <laughs> okay. Uh, just a quick reminder: we had Christian Rose, uh, Arkham and Art Series driver of the number 32 Ford for AM Racing on the show earlier tonight. Uh, another uh, nice interview for 
Christian. He always uh, gives us good information. He's racing full-time in the Arkham Art Series for a new team, AM Racing, this year. And um, you might recall we had Austin Self from AM Racing on the show on Thursday night. So uh, it was a nice follow-up uh, to that interview. Uh, and um, this coming Monday... Uh, I don't have anyone confirmed yet. Uh, we'll have to kind of keep that in the books. Uh, but I will say Thursday night uh, we do have confirmed uh, Andres Perez de Laura is going to be our guest. He's from Rev Racing, racing in the uh, Arkham and Art Series this season. And uh, I'm looking forward to that one because he comes to us from uh, Mexico, uh, very similar to what Daniel Suarez did a few years back. So uh, looking forward to catching up with Andres Perez de Laura on Thursday night show. Um, and then um, let's see, what else did I want to make sure I mention? Uh, our Pamper Racing crew, always appreciate you guys. You always make it fun here on Pamper Racing Radio every Monday and Thursday. And uh, I, I really like the camaraderie we have with uh, you guys filling in for each other as well. Uh, so that uh, when needed, somebody can get uh, the time they need to do something else. So uh, really appreciate that. And then also to our listeners for tuning in, whether it's the live broadcast or the podcast, uh, we hope you enjoy the show as much as we enjoy doing it. And uh, we'll be back on Thursday night for our preview show of Talladega, as well as uh, we've got a race in the Arco West out at Kern County Raceway, uh, coming up this weekend as well. So um, hope everybody enjoys the race weekend. And with that, we'll call it a wrap. Yeah, have a good night. Good night. Good night, everybody. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.